live. How'd we do? I thought, you know, passably well. I mean, in theory, we should be, there should be some increment of decline every week as we get older. And I thought <laughs> there's there was a little bit of a plateau between two weeks ago and, you know, I think we're doing short time. I, okay. was, I was playing rope-a-dope, ignoring, ignoring your alpha male forays. Which were the alpha male forays? You ignored the torture. Every, issue. every, 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 what, every, what, the, what's the torture issue? When I recalled that you were in favor of uh, legalized torture, I thought you would either deny the allegation, say you changed your mind, or get. I don't think I was in favor up. of legalized torture. I was against the idea, uh -huh. the, the, the fictitious idea that torture never worked. Ah. Uh -huh. Well, see, that's the clarification I was expecting, but I'm afraid it's okay. too late. Uh, now all of America will think that you're in favor. I even missed that. I even missed it. Well, I, I, I have some pictures of Uyghurs being tortured by China that I was going to show you. And you're against. You're against that. No, I thought it would. I thought it would. It would. Uh, are there, are there hit, a hot, hit a hot button because you're against. Uh, retaliating against China for its obvious violations of human rights. Are there actual pictures? There are now pictures. Leaks pictures, yes. Oh, there was a story this week. What's his name? Now, this, these seem solid. This is this guy, Adrian Zins, who uh, kind I think of it's solid, yeah. people on the far left are skeptical of. But I once asked somebody about him, and he's, I mean, he is at a, at a think tank with a title like, you know, Foundation Against Communism or something. But uh, but I think he's not totally full of shit. Uh, so I, I didn't I didn't actually maybe that's an example of confirmation bias. I didn't actually uh, delve into that. The one I saw is a woman on a chair bound and in a very uncomfortable, comfortable position hmm. where she is said to have pleaded for her life. I should I, look at that I, stuff. I.e. to be killed. Uh, so she doesn't have to endure the pain anymore. Um, so what was the, but what was my alpha maleism in the saying, Oh, Mickey, you just keep coming up with these, these, uh, far fetched solutions. like the solution where you'd need more than eight bullets or six bullets to, uh, defend yourself. Oh yeah. Well, that was related uh, to the torture thing. Cause you used to do this. That's what, that was my segue to your torture position. Cause you used to do the same thing with torture. You were like, well, what if a guy has planted uh, a nuclear bomb in the White House and it's ticking, you know, these things that never happen? Well, it was it was John McCain said, we need a blanket rule against all torture. And you bring up one of these situations and said, well, we could break the rule then. Well, that is not much of a rule. Well, then you are for Either, torture being legal. No, under some, but, well, yes, well, you so are. Was so was John McCain. The point is that he pretended to have a hard rule when he didn't have a hard rule. Everybody's for torture under some circumstances. If the fate of the world depends on torture, I'm not one for guy, ever being legal under any circumstances. My line is: if the situation were that dire, you could count on them breaking the law to do it, and you're better off just having a law against it. Those are two different issues. Hmm. Well, anyway, and, and also, uh, I'm not sure they rec are rec recognizing I'm, that the law I'm is against torture is. being legal. Okay. I'm flat out against torture being legal. That's a clear position. Dershowitz okay. wants there to be torture warrants, and I gather you do because you want it to be legal in some no. circumstances. Well, so you're you're being a hypocrite because you say it's legal in some it's illegal, but then you're willing to break it. So 
I'm, break the law. So you're, I'm you're, just saying you're, in a situation like that, lower, you're um, defining the law down. Call it what you will. You're for torture. I'm for torture. It's just a question of whether we break the law or not to do it. But you're saying that is not being an alpha male. It sounded pretty domineering to me. This, this is me regaining my limited alpha male resources. Okay, so um, we're back so, in parody. <laughs> um, I don't think we're at parody. So we, um, wanted, we wanted to talk about something serious at the beginning. Serious commu parrot room community issue. Right? I mean, don't I, act like, I mean, you know, like you're, you're, you're on board for a serious conversation. Yeah. Right? So... And it looks like you're going to drink your beverage while I bear the burden of talking. Correct. Okay. Uh, we have noticed in recent weeks, and now not everyone who listens to this visits the Patreon Parrot Room comment section, um, the one on Patreon. Uh, but those who do may have noticed, in mainly just in recent weeks, I think, I'm not even so sure about this week, uh, but, but in recent weeks, we've seen something new, which is commenters being actually mean to other commenters, just being uncivil, insulting them. Not much, almost none, but it, but it, it just had been, we had been but, so free from that, that it really stands out when it happens. Yeah, it's, it's shocking because it's so rare. It's shocking yeah. because it's so rare. And, you know, it shouldn't happen. That's not the kind of community this is. Uh, I think for the most part, people are handling the rare instances of it wisely, which is to say, just don't dignify it with a response. I mean, it's hard when somebody says something really insulting to you, it's hard not to reply both because natural instinct is to reply and say something insulting back uh, or at a minimum defend yourself. But the actually the stronger instinct for me, at least is to say something uh, insulting back. And also because on reflection, you worry that if people perceive you not saying anything, you'll look weak or like you accept the characterization. I do think with this community, you can pretty much count on 99.9% .9 of observers seeing you not reply and thinking that was a wise thing, this guy's being an asshole. And we know that you don't have to say it. and It's better off not. Uh, you know, not dignifying the response. I, I think in the long run, ignoring the uh, any trolls, and again, there, are, there have not been many in the entire history, and there aren't many now, but ignoring the trolls is probably the wise policy. In a worst-case situation, if for whatever reason that didn't do it, uh, you know, Mickey, we've talked about this, we would be willing to actually forcibly remove people from the parrot room, which is to say, <laughs> kick kick them, uh, you know, just, just kind of kick them out. Now, I would only do that very reluctantly uh, because after all, the person we kick out until the point when we kick them out is providing us with either $5, $6 or $8 per month of revenue. And somebody, you know, the money that you pay Hector the pool boy has got to come from somewhere. And I, you know, and so I think you you agree with me that that's a, 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 a something of last resort, right? Right. I mean, it, it, uh, this would involve returning them their money. 
Well, no, they would just, just be kicked, they would be kicked yeah. off the platform. They, we would they, no they, longer, they, their credit card would not be, you know, it would oh, the relationship oh. would be over. I was thinking we just zap their zap their asshole comment and see what they do. Uh, maybe as a first. What, maybe what, as a uh, first. What if you had a big a big sticker that said asshole with a big arrow? And you just point at them. I guess people would then say uh, they, they'd go for that. They'd, they'd uh, it's like the Pinocchios. They'd want the. If you want to be in charge of, of that initiative, I would. I would. No, I would enjoy I watching. There's not enough hours of the day. Although they, they that's exactly very, right. It should it should emphasize there haven't been very many of these. It's just it's 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 uh it was it was alarming to see. It happened. It's in, just, it's just pretty. It, it, it's a confines of our of our comment section. And you know, the line is rarely all that blurry between just a mildly edgy, substantive reply, a mildly sarcastic, substantive reply, and just out net insult. I mean, you know, you know, an insult when you see one. You know, if you're deciding how sarcastic to be, I would say always online err in the side of not sarcastic because. You just never know what spirit it's going to be taken the in, other, but, but certainly avoid flat out. The other, the other rule that I have found useful is the rule of always kill the kicker. In other words, you, you go, you know, Bob, you know, you're completely wrong on this for reasons A, B, and C, you fucking asshole. Right. Well, just drop the you fucking asshole, and then you have a reasonably decent comment, right? right? So if you have a, just a hard rule against, like, killing the last sentence where you stick the shiv in, yeah, uh, it's so useful. It could be that deleting a comment would be a, a, a reasonable first response. And then the second response, if they don't get the picture, is uh, one problem with that is people claim their comments have been disappearing mysteriously. We have never deleted them. But but a number of people think that Patreon well, is deleting them or somebody. Now, somebody came up with an explanation for this. Uh but I'm trying to think what the explanation was. <laughs> anyway, it was innocent. Um, but uh, anyway, we'll do. We will. We will take whatever uh, measures are, are necessary. We're, we're preserving strategic ambiguity, <laughs> um, which means, which is another way of saying all options are open. Um, uh, I agree with that. Um, I um. I thought I thought some rule where if you and I agree to zap a comment, you know, sort of pseudo democracy of two. Fine. But after a point, it's like life's too short. I'm not going to spend my time repeatedly deleting comments from people I just don't think should be here. And it's you know, it doesn't take very long to conclude that they shouldn't be. Um, Okay. Um, It's, you know, almost no one has done this. Okay, it's not hard. It's not in principle hard to see where the line is. Um, uh, I agree. Although, yes, I wonder if I look back at all my tweets if I would approve of them all. I don't think so. Well, no, but that's Twitter. Twitter is different. This is a uh, you know, this is a different kind of community. Okay. And, and look, if good point, you know, it, it, it's it's our community. Um. I, I don't think we will encounter a lot of resistance to the idea that if people re- repeatedly insult other commenters, yeah. they have to leave. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's it for this week, folks. <laughs> we really wanted to put an exclamation point after that sermon, and we decided the best way to do it is cut the conversation. People are going to believe you, and they're going to they're like, going to tune out right now. No, no, don't go. The best is yet to come.
For example, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I I uh, I went through Elon Musk's tweets. What there were what there were of them in the halftime between the free podcast and this. And good example he, of somebody who would be kicked out of the parrot room in a heartbeat. Go ahead. Really? No, he's not that bad. If he did a meme, if he if he did what he did to Bill Gates to one of our commenters, I would uh, I'd 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 swat him. You know, I'd call I'd call the uh, the Austin police department and get a SWAT team out there. I thought he was, I thought that was a fair shot, but maybe that's because I sympathize. Um, uh, and Bill Gates is Bill Gates. So if we took away his billion dollars, then maybe it'd be different. Um, True. But, so what uh, were these tweets you speak of? Anyway, so he, 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 he's adopted the wise practice of deleting all his tweets after a day. So I only saw, you only see one day. He's, oh, he, that's he, not he, fair. He, 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 he's, he's, Boring everybody to death by tweeting heartwarming links about Starlink providing uh, internet service to schools in Nigeria. So that's plus Ukraine. That, that's no fun. Uh, and uh, he's, he's picking some fight with AOC, which is potentially fun, but I couldn't figure out exactly what it was about. AOC has some ridiculous rant on the web about how the second shooter was also a product of white supremacism. Which seems pretty far fetched, uh, or that or that white supremacist explains these shootings and the second one, while you know he's off at his mail silo. Uh, presumably, that's somehow connected to the world of white supremacism. It seems far fetched. Um, so maybe that's what it's about. I sort of doubt it, but um, uh, might be about something else. Um, and. Uh, those, so those were my main two takeaways. Uh, nothing very exciting. Nothing like touch my wiener and I'll buy you a horse, which was the high point. We'll never top that. Uh, um, we'll always be nostalgic about the days of that. The, can I ask you a quick question about the, the shooter? I, is it your perception that if you raise the possibility that some of these first-person shooter video games could, in isolated cases, increase the chances of something like this happening, you get a ton of blowback. Even if you're not suggesting they be regulated, you're 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 kind of considered a, a, an enemy of the First Amendment or something, as if it's just like inconceivable that the price for free speech should could sometimes be something bad, you know? Um, but uh, in this case, free speech being the right to sell a video game that does anything you want it doesn't seem to me crazy when you've got a guy he's got he's got these issues you know he's got this guy he's like bullied his mother had a drug problem no father at home uh and whatever other problems went into this and then spending a ton of time shooting people up on video games i i just don't believe that that decreases the chances of this happening or has no well there supposedly is evidence that watching violent movies and part certainly participating in anything that involves interacting with others uh, decreases the chance of violence. You could see if there's a social component. I don't see that, how they that, even get that to would the give bottom you the, of this empirically, but I mean, how well, you I don't, do I don't know either. I just see tweets that allege that. Oh, um, oh, that's definitely the popular thing to say. And I'm sure there's studies they can point to. It reminds me of studies about mindfulness. It's just, it's really hard to do. I, you know, uh, but anyway, 
But it's pretty easy to come up in one of my crazy hypotheticals that annoy you so much with a video game that would be so outrageous that uh, every almost everybody would think of banning it. Yeah, I don't know. The the uh, I I've never done the first person shooter games. Well, one thing you know, it's funny. You know, you don't notice yourself getting old, but then every once in a while you go, "Oh yeah." If like if like thirty years ago they had had these first person shooter games, I'd be all over them. I mean, and I'd be yeah. I'd be experimenting with virtual reality wildly. And it's kind of sad that I'm not I'm not even curious enough to be to buy a good virtual reality headset. You know. I'm old. That's old. The uh, uh, the main thing that's stopping me is you look so stupid to people on the outside who are looking at you. Well, no, there don't have to be witnesses. With... They don't have to be okay, witnesses. Okay, well, that is okay. Then uh, it's. Uh, I'm telling you, this thing, the the these exercise things are apparently pretty good. Like one is called supernatural. One is called. Uh, oh, I got it wrong last time. It's. Uh, Oh, I'll think of it. It's uh... the key point is, is it, though, is that the the ratio of people who play violent video games and people who become uh, lone shooters is probably what several million to one, right? Right, that is the problem. Many, many, and, and, and that no doubt there are particular other variables that have to be set set in a certain way in the person's life before they're vulnerable. So, yeah, it's a very it would be seen as statistical noise in almost any yeah study. You're right. I think it's called Beat Saber. The other the other exercise. Uh, um, but you I mean, know yeah. that's what we should do. You know we should get those. They're they're apparently pretty damn good. The quest. The trouble is, I think you have to sign up. Well, I guess technically I'm already signed up for Facebook. What about a video game where there's a shooter at your school and you have to rush the door and take him out? Well, technically, you're always on the side of right in these games, right? You're like killing terrorists. So you're killing, you know, you're always killing bad guys. I think. Oh, okay. But I was just, the, the there is this big issue with uh, with this latest shooting. Did the police dawdle for 40 minutes before they went in? Or an um, hour, yeah. And, and what I don't understand is why you don't you don't have to rush the door naked, do you? Don't, don't, don't they have armor and shields and... You would think you would haven't think every cop. You would think haven't they invented a gun that shoots around corners? You can just stick it out like a periscope, and that uh, I don't think has happened. <laughs> the uh, how hard could that be? I don't know. Uh, you don't even a, have to have the the bullet doesn't have to go around the corner. You could have the gun on like a pole. Apparently, when the sight uh, has to go around the corner. When the Israeli showed video of that Palestinian who was shooting. Uh, at around the time that that Al Jazeera journalist was shot, apparently it turned out that's what would have had to happen for that Palestinian to kill that journalist is it would have had to go around a corner. I don't know of any bullets that go around corners. The um, the bullet doesn't have to go around a corner. Your sight just has to go oh, around I the see. corner. Oh, uh, you can imagine it can be a, something can be a like gun that, on yeah. a pole. Gun yeah, on a I pole. mean, you still got to break down the door and stuff. And look, it's they easy They had a key to the door. They had a, they key, had a key to key. the... To the they classroom? had a key to the door. They opened Cla it up with a key. Classroom door? Yeah. Well, you can get shot opening a door with a key. But anyway, the, uh, you know, it's easy for us to talk. You know, cops don't make much money. I can understand, like, if somebody says, go rush that shooter, I'm like, wait, for 30000 sure. a year? Sure, sure. You know, uh, but it is, you know, it is part of the job, I guess. 
I don't know. The um, they apparently also prevented the federal uh, troops that were willing to rush from going in because they, they thought the shooting had stopped. Well, maybe it had. I, I uh, don't know. It's don't so know. fucking that, gruesome that, to think anyway. about. You know, it's, is it even clear he targeted the school? I mean, did he intentionally crash his truck at the I corner don't know. of the school? He, there was a tweet saying about, about a tweet uh, predicting he was going to shoot up a school, but oh. he didn't know how to drive, I think. So that was uh, oh, but, that was the problem with the car crash. So he he had said, though, he was on record saying he was going to do a school. I think so. But but um, hell of a coincidence. Maybe if he tried how to drive, he would have been socialized enough not to do this. Um, Could be. You know, we are changing the subject at this point. It used to be in Texas. My brother had a full-fledged driver's license in Texas at age 14. Can you believe that? Full-fledged. Not like a learner's permit. Full-fledged. It was... That, that, that's because it's farm country and you need the kids I, I think to help that's out? why it was. You had to have driver's ed to get it at 14. Otherwise, it was 16. Whereas when I... By the time I came along, it was 18 and 16. And I got mine at 16. Which, when you think about it, is kind of crazy. <laughs> you know. There is that old... It's crazy to what you have to wait. Well, till you're 16. I mean, you know, you have two beers and you're like seriously dangerous. 16 person. in an urban setting seems way too young. I agree. Yeah, that was me. That was me too. But, um, and uh, I did do the, like a 360 through a four lane intersection at 1 a.m. Yeah, but that was last week. That was last week. No, that was with my friend Steve who got us into the trouble I was trying to get us out of, but I won't. Elaborate. Thanks, Steve. I've done some stupid things. The um there is the argument that driver's ed results in more deaths because it sluices a whole bunch of young kids into driving who might not or not otherwise drive. And of course, young kids get into disproportionate share of traffic accidents. Apparently, so, this generation doesn't want to drive. You heard that about this generation? Yeah, I've heard that about every generation. Wasn't true of mine. We all wanted to drive. But the uh what, what do they want instead? They want video games. Yeah. Now we had in driver's ed, we had the crudest version of virtual reality imaginable. You would go in this, they brought up this big kind of truck. You'd go in the back of it and there were all these little like fake dashboards. Then they would show you, there was one movie you were watching. Uh, everybody was watching the same movie screen and it was a car driving down a street. And it was just the most perilous street in the world. Every three feet, a ball would roll out, <laughs> followed by a three-year-old chasing the ball. And, and uh, honest to God, it got me in the habit of breaking at the slightest provocation. I mean, it was, I think it was the reason I've never It didn't produce anyone. a subversive culture of people who went for the maximum for, points? No, you got, if you wanted to pass, you had to get, if you wanted, if you wanted your yeah. license, you had to not kill the three-year-olds. Yeah, okay. Um. So this guy, uh, this guy Sussman, this lawyer who supposedly lied to the FBI and said Clinton, Clinton, Hillary Clinton lawyer who went to the FBI peddling the ultimately the um, Steele dossier, right? No, the Alpha Bank story. I thought he's peddling the whole thing, but go ahead. I think they used the same technique for both the Steele okay. dossier and the Alpha Bank story, but. In this case, was the Alpha Bank story. I may I have more recent news than you here, but go yeah. ahead. I listened to a podcast okay. uh, only an hour ago, but but go okay. ahead. Um, the uh, anyway, um, 
it, it, it seems like an open and shut case because not it didn't just rely on the memory of the person, the FBI official who he told it to, but there was something that he actually committed to electronic type. He, he texted the night before and said, and he texted a friend of his, high-ranking friend of his at the FBI, said, I'd like to come in and talk to you about something. I'm not coming on behalf of a client. That's the lie. Uh, right. I'm just trying to help the world or right. something. And right. and you're right. It's it's in writing. But, but he's still uh, going to get off. That's my news. Because it's a Democratic jury in the no. District of Columbia? No, because it has come out. I just listened to this podcast with An Andy McCarthy. Uh, he thinks he's going to get off. And the, re the reason is, it turns out the FBI knew that he was representing the Clinton campaign. And it sounds like it's it, it they not only that. So it sounds like they like when the guy he came in and talked to, whose name I forget, the FBI, Baker. High, yeah, Baker, high ranking FBI guy who isn't a case officer of the kind you'd normally talk to if you were just a, a Joe Schmo, but a high ranking guy. The, I, I gather the reason he went in and immediately you know, created the paper trail about how this guy was coming in uh, representing no one. Well, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think maybe he did that because he knew it wasn't true, but they wanted to pursue the case under the pretext that it was true. Now, I'm not sure Baker himself, I can say that about, but according to McCarthy, that what, what the reason is going to be hard to convict uh, Sussman and misleading the FBI is because basically he didn't. They knew what was going on. Oddly, interestingly, apparently the FBI tried to mislead other people in the FBI uh, because when they initiated the investigation, they chose to conceal the identity of the key source, that is Sussman, from other agents because according to McCarthy, they knew that if people knew who it was, they'd go, wait a second, he's a Hillary Clinton guy. This isn't this isn't objective. You know, this is this is suspicious information. Right. And so the, so the, the real wrongdoers here were the FBI that was ready to lie because they were so hot to get Trump. Not that right. they shouldn't have been hot to get Trump, but right. should, that, 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 that could itself be in some sense an innocent aspiration. A lot of us were genuinely worried about but, Trump, but that seems to be the deal. Uh, but if if he lied to one person who didn't know, uh, or or who he didn't know knew, because a lot of times you get convicted for lying to yeah. somebody when somebody knows the truth, uh, isn't that enough to convict him? McCarthy seems to think that the fact that the people in the FBI knew makes it much harder to convict. Also, there's some ruling about that text the damning text he sent the night before that doesn't it doesn't render it inadmissible but it somehow reduces the weight it carries or and, something and has this has this evidence that the FBI knew been introduced in court because they've rested their cases yeah the jury's deliberating so far as i know um oh. the uh yeah you're I, way I, ahead I, of me i i gather that's the case um, i predict i i'll go out on a limb since there are no consequences and predict Annie mccarthy is wrong there's going to be it's going to be a guilty verdict. Um, well, he, the, uh, he may just be betting against himself kind of superstitiously because he'd like to see him convicted. Although, oddly, been, Sussman's good luck is Trump's or Sussman's good luck is Trump Trump's good luck. Right. Because what Trump wants to say is the FBI was after me. 
not just that Sussman was after him, but that the FBI was after him. Or that both of them were. He can and say both. He can say both. He can say both of them were. Now. But if he can, he can convict Sussman and and say the FBI is after him. Plus, if they if they convict Sussman, then maybe they can turn him into providing evidence against other people in the FBI, which would validate Trump's larger concerns. Uh, it's pretty clear, you know, that the FBI is riven with bias and uh, and. Uh, mainly not a lot of conservative bias there, which is what you'd expect. Uh, I, you know, I, I, although, I mean, it's almost more, I'm not sure it's not conservative. It's, it's pro institutional. It's like if the crazy Trump like figure had been a Democrat, I'm not sure things would have been any different. I, I mean, uh, look, people were worried with Trump. We now know with good reason he tried to, impede a, you know a democratic peaceful transition of power that's pretty bad it, it wasn't crazy to think he was dangerous now you can argue that it's not the fbi's job to try to head things off at the past but it's not the same as them trying to cover up their own corruption or something um even if this is in itself corrupt if, if that's your view but um but i don't i don't i i i don't think I, I am racking my brain for other instances that didn't involve Trump of FBI bias. And certainly um, the the weirdness of the Hillary email decision, which went the other way, implied that it wasn't like a straight shot. Uh, they weren't just ac- actually being neutral. Well, you- uh, the, the, the recent thing with the search of Representative Cuellar's home, I mean, would that have been done on behalf of uh, Jessica Cisneros, who is more than just a Democrat, but a progressive AOC type Democrat, would the FBI really favor an AOC type? It's, it seems far fetched, but uh, I'm sure there there have been other things in life that did, did not just involve Trump, where the uh, you know the the the, the well, FBI is not the neutral ju- umpire. Well, that you for example, them trying to get Martin Luther King to kill himself. Yeah, there was that. There was that. But that was a while ago. Yeah, but it was, and and I wouldn't call that like a, a indicating a left wing leaning on the part of the FBI. Uh, the, no, times um, have changed. That's the point. The CIA and the FBI are now. Oh, uh, I see. I uh, don't know what what I think. I think one of the main problems with the FBI is I think it it attracts grandiose self dramatizing people. You know, people who watched. Whatever the current equivalent of, remember the old show, the FBI with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Well, plus the whole dress code and the the whole bizarre rituals. Where I think you have to be fluttered to go to go to work at the FBI. You have to be uh, go through a lie detector. Yeah, which is there's a whole there's a whole hazing type thing that goes but, on. But I think that's not unrelated. If you listen to Jim Comey talk about why the burden fell upon him to save the republic, it's just kind of part and parcel of this whole self-conception of the FBI as, you know, guardians of something or other. I don't know. And anyway, you could you could make a whole lot a lot of money betting against Andy McCarthy. So I'll do it. He he sounds so convincing though. He did he did clarify one thing for me recently. After uh which is it, it, there's uh I'm fascinated by this McCormick Oz race in Pennsylvania. It's razor close. Uh-huh. Oz, who was endorsed by Trump, who is the celebrity doctor, uh, was is leading by like 900 votes. It's going into recount. Uh, 
there's a big issue on in terms of uh, ballots that were mailed in but did not have a date on them. And the law clearly says that the Pennsylvania law that if you don't have a written date on your ballot, it won't be counted. Shouldn't be counted. Uh, so they there are a few thousand of them. They weren't counted. McCormick obviously wants to count as many new votes as possible, so he's gone to court to say they should be counted. Classic case of a, of a complication introduced by mail voting. When you actually vote at the polls, nobody has to find out what date you voted. You voted on an election day. You went to the polls. People were there watching you. Uh, but but, but uh, mail-in voting introduces all these uh, you know, cases of uh, occasions of uncertainty, so this is one of them. But what what and I, I thought, well, I'm torn. Obviously, this is a stupid requirement. It's not it's not clear what what purpose this serves. If it's a valid vote, if it arrives on time, why should we care that the guy left the person left off the date? On the other hand, you don't want to give uh, judges a license to screw around with election laws because then you wind up with a lot of Democratic judges or maybe some Republican judges uh, throwing the election to their compatriots. Uh, on recounts, uh, and people will lose trust in the whole system. Uh, but McCarthy pointed out there is a federal statute that says you can't uh, throw out vote clear votes uh, on grounds that aren't material to uh, you know determining that the vote was valid. So if there's a federal statute, then I think McCormick wins his lawsuit. Hmm. Uh, much as I would hate to see McCormick win, I mean. It, why, I, wait, I don't, why would you for some reason McCormick for win? some reason I really resent McCormick. It's he's a hedge funder trying to pose as a trumper. Oh, but what about and he a, has this ambitious wife who was wrong on a bunch of issues? And what about a TV exactly, celebrity trying to pose as a trumper? Less less harmful. You think? When, how many jobs has Oz shipped overseas? Very few. How many jobs has McCormick helped ship overseas? Many, many. Uh, and. Uh, and Oz is doing such a bad job of it. You could hardly say that that, that he's he's really lying. He doesn't really do a whole lot uh, of uh, blatant fakery. Um, he mainly, I think, tries to charm the ladies. Anyway, he's um, he may win. He's likely to win, but he probably won't win this lawsuit for reasons that Andy McCarthy laid out. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, he, he may McCarthy also. Also, as as we talked, McCormick is running for president. He's not running for senator. If you want to stop him, if you don't have to deal with him on the national stage for the next two decades, you got to stop him now. Is he a serious presidential candidate? Why not? He's a Marine. He's a, a billionaire. He's potential to be a liberal Republican, which is close to the sweet spot. He could be a Youngkin type. Uh, and Youngkin is mentioned as a candidate, so why not mm -hmm. him? Uh, and uh, he has this hyper ambitious, brilliant wife. So, uh, yes, he's a credible presidential candidate. He's as credible as Don Trump Jr. Well, yeah, but he's got the Trump name. This is um, so he's as cre credible as uh, Tim Scott, an appointed senator who's only only uh qualification seems to be that he's black and Republican donors love the idea of nominating a black person and allegedly stealing the black vote. Now, we said you would list the Democratic presidential alternatives to Biden. And I did? Yeah. In the, did. In the regular what do you mean we? 
I thought you. I thought I did. I thought you said that, Mickey. Why don't you uh, list the Republicans? But I don't have any particular. Oh, oh, I thought you meant uh, if, if Biden does run. No, but you mentioned Kamala Harris, didn't you? Yeah, well, there was an article in the New York Magazine that that's that, what I meant. That it fell short of its. Uh, you know, the, the the purpose of that argument of that sort of article is to list the alternatives to Biden and Harris. It completely failed to do that because I guess it felt, oh, it's so cliched. You know, to to do do this list of you know people, so it didn't. Well, do did the they list. try? Just, did they try to list anyone? I mean, I they mean, listed did, a couple people. They mentioned a couple people. I forget who. Uh, Google, Newsom, probably I think it mentioned. The article. They could mention Newsom. Uh, you know, they we've been we've been through this. The 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 um the pickings are slim. Okay, here it is. Uh, Four days ago, Democrats quietly searched for an alternative to Biden in. Oh, don't yeah. ask me to fucking it was, sign it, in. It was God's breaking. Sake. It was breaking the news that that high up Democratic strategists also think what everybody else in the country thinks, which is that Biden and Kamala Harris aren't very good candidates. Uh, so uh, I don't know. It was very well written uh, piece saying the obvious. Um, but it, it didn't come up with any. Uh, I don't think it came up with the with the uh, Quizots Hotterack of the primaries. With the, I'm, I'm trying to oh, get yes. into it, uh, notwithstanding New York the, Magazine's the, attempt yeah. to keep me out. Let's well, see. Well, this is this is more exciting than anything else we're doing here. <laughs> I found it, it's much harder to get around payrolls than it used paywalls than it used to be. There's various things they, they're, they're getting up. smarter. I mean, you, you know, um, you got to have multiple browsers at the ready. Uh, did you notice that Substack's public offering, by the way, yeah. Substack being a company that makes its money, are off they of doing an IPO? But it failed. Did they try to do it? I mean, the they tried, to, they, they tried to get a round a round of funding. They did not try an IPO, I don't think, and they did not get the funding. But they have just announced some other funding. This I was post crash. I think it was in the middle of the crash. By the way, I was honored with a personal, uh, I got an email from them saying that my newsletter is growing so fast that they wanted one of their special consultants to chat with me. I was honored. Uh, so they, they, rather than put out your newsletter, you waste your time talking to their special consultant? Yeah, I was honored. It was a real serotonin booster. So Did you talk to him? Yeah. It, it turned oh, out what did he say? They, it sounded like he was almost more interested in getting my feedback, you know, things I like and don't like about Substack. Yeah. So, oh, I saw that. Yeah, it was honored. Not, was it, was it Hamish? No, 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 no. They're well beyond that. It was. It wasn't like a founder. They they have a team of these people now who do these things. So wait, yeah. Governor you Pritzker. You should have more controversy in your comment section. You did not say that. This wasn't about Patreon. The um, J.B. Pritzker, governor of. Illinois, Jared Polis, governor of Colorado. Are these the, these are the guys. Yeah, Governor Newsom, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. I still say, like, what's wrong with Chris Murphy? Just you know, I mean, well, I, Murphy I really, is leading. Murphy is leading the gun, the anti-gun charge. So if he uh, if he pulls that off, maybe he'll have some aura of. Well, I he, say, look, what's wrong with Joe Manchin? Manchin would be a oh, formidable he, candidate. He'd have trouble getting the nomination. He, he, he they hate him. Well, a lot that's of a different. That's a different issue. Well, we have to be realistic here. But, but Murphy, he's not at all charismatic. But I still say, 
if the goal is to have somebody just standing up next to Trump in the debate and you go, I'll take that guy or that woman, Murphy fits work. A lot of people work. It's just the problem is getting them the nomination in the first place, as you know. But Murphy's much more credible nomination getter than Joe Manchin. Uh, different issue. Uh, the uh, I say, why don't we just nominate Ron Klain and eliminate the middleman? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> Let's have more. <laughs> Mickey, that was the thigh slapper. I'll be, I'll, I'll okay. be slapping my. The laughter light is hand. gone, Bob. The what is gone? The laughter light. Um, you know where oh, they say the, tell the audience to off. laugh. Okay, I'll stop. It's off now. Um, you know, there's about to be a huge like crisis in Pakistan. I didn't. The guy who the pres the anti American oh, premier yeah. who was uh, who was uh, removed from office is now leading a march on the capital. The cricket player. The cricket player with his followers, and they've sealed off the roads to the capital. It has all the makings of like a you know a violent confrontation. But he was peaceably removed, right? Although I think he was peace. He suspected an American hand in his removal. And now he, but now he's demanding an election in six days, uh, or else what? I don't know, or else. But uh, hmm. yeah, they, but they just got their big IMF loan, so maybe that'll pacify people. Anyway, I would think a revolution in Pakistan would be scary to people. They do have nuclear weapons. Um, right. There's that. Um, so. Anyway, the the point on this uh, on this Alpha Bank thing is the right uh, uniformly describes it as the debunked Alpha Bank story, and that's a term that I hate when the left uses it because it usually means we just don't like it, and we've thrown up some some dust against it. And, and I, I don't think it's debunked. I don't think there's been a complete satisfactory explanation for these pings between the Alpha Bank and the Trump server. Really. Uh, I think that's right. I mean, there was a there, and and one one longs for Frank Four, who wrote the article and defended it as you know, as recently as 2018, saying, "What? It's just coincidence that these banks were were talking to each other." I don't think so. I'd like to hear what him defend it today, well, uh, to see if it's defensible. You know, right after the piece came out, there's two things about this. One is that right after the piece came out, uh, The Intercept had a seemingly very knowing piece saying this is an incredibly naive analysis. And I think they went on to say these pings could well be just like junk email. Right. You know? Everybody everybody agrees with the could well be and naive analysis part, but they don't agree on what the hell it was. It could be that. It could be something else. What is the could, something else, by the way? What is the plausible scenario? I know there could be a, a secret channel of communication between Trump and Russia. I mean, uh, why do it the, that way? Why not pick up the phone or something? I mean, because I guess because uh, we're still, it's obviously somewhat impenetrable. Nobody could figure out what was going on. Um, there's one other, there's one other thing. That's I a good learned, question. I would like to hear that question answered. There's one other thing, uh, which is that apparently, so see, what Sussman wanted to happen, what the Hillary campaign wanted to happen is that 
They get the FBI investigating it. And then they can tell journalists the FBI is investigating this. And then they report that. And they tried to get the New York Times. The New York Times is their first choice. Okay. But the New York Times, uh, you know, their journalists apparently, uh, the first thing they did was, um, uh, and I think I got this from last week's Andy McCarthy podcast. I'm not sure, some podcast. Um, their journalists, I think, were in community, got in touch with the FBI. Like they, they didn't do anything rash, which is what the Hillary campaign would have liked. They really looked into it. They didn't, they couldn't see, you know, what Frank Four ultimately saw. They didn't buy it. I think they communicated that to the FBI and they got the sense that the FBI didn't see anything. Now, of course, they could be communicating with agents other than the agents who knew this was the Hillary campaign and who were earnestly looking into it. Who knows? But apparently uh, what took the air out of the story. So getting in touch with New York Times actually backfired for Hillary because right after the Slate story came out, Frank Four story, the New York Times ran a piece saying uh, the FBI has looked into this and nobody <laughs> sees anything here. So they actually def- the New York Times did, not only did not run with the story, they deflated it. But I think one of the New York Times reporters believed it. I think it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, well, apparently but, um, the effect of what the New York Times published was not to the liking right, of Hillary Clinton. Right, right. Yeah. But, um, and Frank Forer had to rush a, a rush defense of the article in, in, in the next few days. Uh, but I just want to, I, want, I think he should face the music now. I mean, everybody's running around saying his story was debunked. And that, you know, Hillary fed this story to the press. Well, then, if the if the story was wrong, it's the press's fault for buying this bogus story. And he'd be the guy that did it. But maybe it's not completely bogus. So let's hear from him. We should have him in the parrot room. He, he, he can get another article out of it. We should have him in the parrot room. Did he kick both of us off the New, the New Republic masthead or just me? No, Peter you Barner go, kicked me off the new. You Republic went in an earlier purchase. Not that oh, I remember. I, I, not, I you know. Well, I don't I, even. Rem- I don't remember that. I could Frank- be bitter. I could be bitter about this, but I'm so not. So could I. But far from even remembering that Frank Four kicked me off the masthead as a contributing editor, I don't even remember the totally inexcusable fact that he didn't even have the decency to email me and tell me that. I don't remember that. I've. I've that's how little I care. Have I been clear about this? <laughs> no. Peter um, Barner did email me. Yeah, I was, I was very. I was part of it. Oh, you know what's funny? I think I was part of the purge that got Peter Beinerd off of the masthead. So karma, yeah. baby, karma's a funny thing, Peter. Uh, <laughs> happened to Robespierre too, I believe. Yeah. Um. So, um, speaking of karma, there was a good case of karma in in Alabama where Mo Brooks, who was a uh, representative. I like who because because he's very strong on my pet issue. Uh, he um, he's running for governor, running for senator. He's a congressman and he was endorsed by Trump and then he fell in the polls. So Trump being Trump dumped him, uh, didn't endorse anybody else, but just sort of I don't want to be associated with this loser anymore. And now he's now a- after Trump has dumped him, he's surged in the polls and now he's in a runoff with uh, another candidate. So it was just like hilarious comeuppance for Trump. Karma. Uh, so there you go. Um, More karma. The problem is I I, I sent Peter Barnard a, a, a gracious note accepting this 
defenestration. I never would have done while, that. While vowing secretly to destroy him at the first available opportunity. And he was he was struck by how gracious my note was. And then I couldn't even destroy him because then he became this, he did a 360 and became this anti-war guy instead of this pro-war guy. And uh, I had to defend him. He outfoxed you. It was horrible. He outfoxed you. See, I would have vowed in the email I sent him to destroy him. That's well, you that's, that's you with you. I'm I'm a I am a uh, you know you know I how, avoid conflict and then I I secretly seethingly plot my revenge. You know how thoroughly he, must, he yeah go ahead. Must be a word for that personality type. Uh, you tell me what is it? Passive aggressive? I don't know. No. Could yes. Um, the uh, part of it. He, he so thoroughly repented that if you look in the index of the first book he wrote uh, after becoming a dove in the index, uh, it says there's a, an entry that says Iraq war comma authors mistaken support of. That's an actual end. I think I've told you this, but in a, that's an actual, I think, word for word entry in the email. Anyway, I'm a Peter fan. I am a big Peter. I'm a, what impresses me about him. I mean, there have been a number of, you know, both he and Andrew uh, recanted their support for the Iraq war, both former editors of the New Republic who recanted. Um, you know, Andrew shows the occasional sign of, um, not relapse. Backsliding? What's it? Yeah, backsliding. More like backsliding. Relapse. Relapse is a good word. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, Peter has undergone a true, thorough, coherent, ideological transformation. I mean... Didn't he get a $600,000 advance to write a book in favor of... One of two books in favor of the Iraq War? Did, uh, he, produce that, did he produce that book? And was it... Did he return I, the money when he had this? Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know about the orientation. This. I didn't know about this. He famously got a huge advantage to write two books. Yeah, but he may have actually produced the two books. Um, anyway, I'm quite on board it, with this current foreign policy ideology. It, you know, and it goes well beyond Israel. That's his pet issue. But there, there's um there's an attack on Andrew Sullivan in Slate. Uh, and uh. It makes it makes the uh, uh, it makes it makes the the, the the argument that will be most telling against Andrew that he's become boring. I don't uh, think he's by Jamel Bowie, however you pronounce his name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who's who's can be extremely good, can be extremely bad. I don't know which one this is. <laughs> okay. Why is it in the New York? Why is it in Slate and not in the New York Times? Oh, yeah, uh, it's more slaty than timesy. You don't you don't do you don't do take big takedowns in the New York Times, do you? Even now, um, I don't know. I guess that's right. Uh, the um, uh, so there was this there was this instance where where John Kerry went to Iraq, Iran to to talk to them how to. Uh, I'm reading from the Washington Free Beacon. Senior Obama administration officials engaged in a secret meeting with Iran in 2018 as part of an effort to undermine the Trump administration's diplomatic push to isolate the hardline regime, according to an internal 
State Department document. Huh. Isn't that um, a violation of some act? The Logan Act, the unenforced the Logan, Act. Logan That's Act. That's it. That's it. I don't I, I don't think the Logan Act would be constitutional in this case, but uh probably why it's unenforced. Well, that would be a problem with it in general, wouldn't it? Because it constrains speech of necessity. It, it says you can't, it says that what does it say? A non-government person in the US is not allowed to interfere with US diplomacy, which always involves saying something, right? What is what does the Logan Act say? It's something I don't like know that, what the right? Logan Act says. It, it, I, no, and it, I, I searched this article for the word Logan, and it does not appear. Oh, it doesn't appear. Shameful. But uh, Byron York brings it up. But uh, the um, the uh, it's sort of like it's trying to find a form of treason that's like less serious than treason. It's sort of like mini treason. Uh huh. And uh, I don't know if that flies. Uh, anyway, I just think it's bad form. I don't think Kerry should be doing that. I think we had an election and we elected Trump and you should let him have his shot while you publicly state your objections to it. And you could publicly state an objection and 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 and, and sort of and, and sort of give Iran a, a roadmap to uh getting out of the sanctions, but uh then you have to take the public heat for it, right? It's bad for him to do it in secret. Yeah, but if it's not illegal, I don't blame him. If it doesn't violate the Logan Act. I mean, Trump, you know. It does violate the Logan Act, but the Logan Act is not enforced. Oh. Well, I mean, look, it was just a, it was just the worst policy imaginable, what Trump did. And uh, you, were, but, you were about uh, to take Biden from the other side. Yeah, well, Biden, the latest reason that Biden is failing to do what it would take to restore the Iran deal is he's refusing to roll back this designation Trump made of the IRGC, the, you know, the branch of the Iranian military is a terrorist organization, which at the time, I mentioned this last week in a different context, at the time, you know, it was considered a kind of wild, crazy thing to do. You, you don't, you know, nobody had ever, you know, you know, designated a military, state military organization as terrorist. And also, how much good evidence is there? And it was just part of Trump's whole anti-Iran, you know, he had what's his Suleimani assassinated. He was just, he just, you know, and this is just, it's, we're just, it's just a world of trouble that was completely unnecessary. And now there's all these stories about even Israeli officials saying, you know, it was a mistake to get out of the deal, even though it was partly under Israeli pressure that Trump did it. Uh, it, it just, uh, uh, anyway, but Biden, you know, the, the foreign, there's so many, so many criticisms a person like me might make of Biden's foreign policy. This is so certainly one. Your argument is that Biden is a wuss for not rescinding this designation. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I understand he'd pay some kind of domestic political price, but look, if you're going to be a serious steward of the national interest, at some point you have to be willing to defy the Israel lobby. I guess he thinks that's where the pressure is coming from. I don't know where the hell else it would come from. I mean, uh, you know, well, from any number of opportunistic opponents on the right. Well, that's true. I, but but the question is, who are they appealing to? I, I mean, if, if there's not a big, powerful constituency against repealing it, who are they appealing to? I guess it's true that this is the kind of issue where the right could get traction just with your average naive voter like, oh, my God, 
he said a terrorist isn't a terrorist or something. Maybe, maybe right. that's it. I don't know. What are the prospects for uh, renewing the deal? They were almost on last time we talked about it. I, but it hasn't people, happened, obviously. People sound pessimistic. I, I, I have quit paying attention. You know, uh, it's just the so that Biden means the administration. Logical, yeah, the logical outcome is that they keep developing nuclear weapons, and Israel attacks them. Well, they're not actually developing nuclear weapons right now. But uh, logical outcome is we lose our ability to be sure they're not developing nuclear weapons. And they do create more highly enriched uranium. And so you have reason to fear that they're doing that. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a deal that that was working. And Trump, it's just part of the havoc he wreaked by virtue of being Trump. Uh, it, was a, it, it wasn't completely in character because elsewhere in the world, he, he was not stirring up fights. He was. Uh, trying to get out of fights in Afghanistan, for example, he signed yeah, he's, yeah. he signed the agreement to get out that Biden postponed but ultimately honored. So, uh, yeah, well, know. you know, there were the two exceptions to his not wanting to be belligerent toward countries, and they were Iran and China. China, among the factors, was that he he saw China as responsible for the loss of American jobs, wanted to play hardball and trade with Iran. You know, it was kind of part of his initial his initial ethno nationalism that you know he doesn't like Muslims and, but I think to a large extent, you know, he was accommodating just the domestic political pressures. I mean, remember Sheldon Adelson was a huge donor. Sheldon Adelson, right. you know, once actually seriously advocating dropping a nuclear bomb in the desert in Iran, just to show, as he put it, just to show them that we mean business. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, no. Trump's Trump. But but what happens now is my question. I'm forward looking. Oh, now? Uh, yeah. I don't know if there's not a deal. Uh, we lose the transparency and the safeguards and and Israel starts saying they'll bomb. And then I don't know. I don't know. Uh, these isn't isn't just... the country most threatened by that Saudi Arabia? Don't th I guess they developed their own bomb. So we have an arms race. Well, well, yeah, you, that that's certainly a, a a possible consequence that that the Arabs get serious about. Some Arab states get serious about nuclear weapons. Um, you know, it's all bad. I mean, uh, but uh, it, it, speaking of uh, speaking of uh, factors that might have uh, made Trump go hard on Iran. Uh, Jared Kushner, who had Netanyahu stay in his bedroom when he was a teenager, mm -hmm. uh, uh, was of course is of course a major factor. And and Kellyanne Conway, her book about the Trump administration came out this week or was leaked this week, and she has some nasty things to say about about Jared. Oddly, she does not say he's stupid. Uh, you know, I mean, people who complain that he didn't get into Harvard tend to leave the implication that he's stupid but that, that he did he get into harvard people people who claim that he didn't qualify for harvard but got right. in anyway for his money uh but just because you don't qualify for harvard doesn't mean you're stupid so he doesn't it's possible that he's, he's not, not stupid he's not stupid, stupid uh, no. and uh but uh 
he does seem to be, he has no accountability. You could never fire him. He could never get fired. Uh, and and uh, that's become clear because this book comes out where Kellyanne Conway doesn't say anything nasty about Trump, does say nasty things about Jareb, and Trump immediately denounces her. Why wouldn't he reward her for leaving him alone? Yeah, she was pretty loyal to him in this book. Uh, and I think that that goes, that you know, that goes to the dynamic that if you criticize Jared, you you know, Trump can't afford to to not lash back because Jared is a, approaching uh, co-president status. I mean, it's, it's what, what is the leverage he has on well, Trump? Well, there, there are two bits of leverage. One, well, in addition to the knowing where the bodies are buried, he has Ivanka, his favorite child married to him. Her fortune depends on him now. That's enough leverage. Her fortune but, depends on Jared? Uh, Jer yeah, I mean... Well, Trump I has enough always, money so that Ivanka is not going to starve. I mean... Right, but, but Ivanka wants to succeed and her her method of success at the moment is through her husband or with her husband. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the second thing, I mean, she could get a divorce. I mean, yes, he could say, Ivanka, you have to get divorced, but, uh, you know, I don't think he has that power. The second thing is that the Kushners have much more money than Trump now. So his financial future, the future of his whole empire, depends on the Kushner's financial power. Keep in mind, Kushner, uh, not only is his father a wildly successful real estate developer, his brother is a wildly successful high big tech, tech investor. Uh, and they have a... Uh, they have a profit sharing agreement. So when his brother, whatever he makes and his brother makes goes into a pool that they split. So he's making money off his brother. So when the Trump, uh, Trump goes to somebody for a loan, he's going to get a loan much more easily if he says it's the Trump Kushner Alliance asking for this loan. Not only do we have my resources, but we have the much greater resources of the Kushner empire. Uh, so his financial future depends on Jared. He can't, it would be much more difficult for him to throw Jared overboard than the uh, standard president and his son-in-law. Hmm. Uh, most of this is from uh, Vicki Ward's book, Kushner Inc., which is very good. Maybe Jared should just run for president, cut out the middleman. Uh, he'd be wildly popular. In some when, circles, when Trump when Trump brought up his name at rallies, there was dead silence. Was there good? <laughs> He's not widely popular. I don't think. Um, I don't. I don't think Ivanka is widely popular either. But uh, now, can you? He, answer, he gives her such prominence. You have to applaud. Can you answer this question? How is this a segue to my latest report on the podcast? Dead end. Uh, they both involve New Jersey. Yeah, we were looking for something a little more precise. Well, it's hard to believe that Norcross and Kushner's past did not cross at some point. I would look for that angle if I were you. Well, what I had in mind was that Christie did prosecute Kushner's father and, of course, put him in right. actual jail, right? Chris Christie right. went crusading prosecutor. And as I said earlier, uh, conspicuously refrained, even refused when offered the chance to prosecute uh, George Norcross, the so-called 
uh, Democratic Democratic boss of South Jersey or boss of the Democratic Party in South Jersey or whatever. Um, the uh, so uh, ju- just quickly on that, uh, not much this week. Again, a murder uh, close to where I live. Something initially billed as a murder suicide, where the supposed committer of both the murder and the suicide was a guy who had a longtime New Jersey political guy, figure who had, uh, not electoral, but an f- important political figure who had been uh, hired by Norcross to run to be CEO of this hospital in Camden. Norcross was chairman of the uh, board. Um, and, you know, there had seemed to have been tension between Norcross and him before the so-called murder-suicide, which it's increasingly clear was actually him getting murdered along with his wife after which they they were stabbed to death and then the house was set on fire uh we now know a very similar thing happened uh only months earlier in new jersey which was uh uh paid for by a political figure uh again i think it was is uh stabbing in and set set the house on fire anyway The only thing this week was that I had already described to you what seemed to be the source of the tension between the the situation you might want to have eight bullets for, by the way. So go ahead. (laughs) Eight bullets would have been enough. I think these I don't think these guys had guns, but uh, the. um, uh, I would if, if both he and his wife had a gun with eight bullets, I think they'd be I think they'd be alive today. The. um. So John Sheridan is the guy who was killed along with his wife, uh, the guy who was CEO of the hospital. Um, I had already said, based on my reading up on it, what that the source of tension between Norcross and Sheridan seemed to be uh, this property that was going to get a ton of tax breaks, thanks to legislation that the Norcross brothers had engineered. Um, and the nonprofit that Sheridan was involved in running, apparently an earnest nonprofit that, that tried to help Camden, had the rights to the property. Norcross wanted the rights given instead to his interests. Um, that became the source of tension in the months before the murder. Um, the only... Now, that's what this last episode was about, and I had only reported on it earlier because I'd done some reading. The the only main things were actually that I learned in this episode were, first of all, that uh, they found a letter where Norcross, he started to write, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sheridan started to write to Norcross, I've never seen you more adamant about anything than, you know, about this issue, your determination to, to stop to have this, you know, to stop the nonprofit from proceeding and so on. Uh, so evidence that Norcross was, uh, you know, pretty intent on prevailing. Then he crossed that out and opted for a more kind of subservient opening line, like, like I realize I failed to inform you of, uh, you know, keep uh, about the mission of the nonprofit or something, something like that. Anyway, I, it's not clear the letter was ever sent. It's mainly just evidence that the Norcross was, you know, trying to figure out how to approach him. And it's right. documentation that Norcross was pretty intense about this issue. Um, the other thing is, is a note 
notes that uh, Sheridan had taken. And I believe, I'm not sure, uh, if you listen to the episode, maybe you'll be clear on it, that this was a result of him consulting with his son. His son, also a figure in Jersey politics, kind of, was the lawyer for the Chris Christie campaign. Okay. Uh, however, Ironic, that may or may not be. Not that I think Christie himself was involved in these particular shenanigans. Um, but uh, and and the notes he took were about the obligation he owed to the nonprofit, like in a legal sense. Like, I think maybe he was running it or he's on the board or something. And uh, it was just like kind of you got to, you know, you got to do your you know, your your best good faith effort to serve the interests of the blah, blah, blah. And, and it was it was serving those interests that that put him in the clash with Norcross in the months. Um, before Wasn't the he a government official? At this point, he's not. Uh, no. He had been Depart uh, secretary of transportation in New Jersey. Okay. As I said, there were two former governors at his funeral. And two former governors signed the letter trying to get Christie to investigate, which he never did. Um, but uh, the only other thing is that apparently, uh, you know, there was all this property on uh, in Camden that was eligible for these huge tax breaks. And, and uh, you know, it was calculated by this reporter at WNYC who's doing the podcast, Nancy Solomon, and a collaborator of ProPublica that something like 1.1 billion worth of tax breaks went to these properties owned by Norcross and people variously connected with either him or his brothers. Anyway, um, the thing I didn't realize was that uh, some of this stuff had finally gone to the hospital uh, that uh, Sheridan was CEO of. I think that happened after his death. And so that was, a, there turned out to be this involvement of the hospital uh, with um, the hospital, I guess, benefited from the transfer of the property. I don't know if he would have opposed that. I'm a little vague on all this stuff. You should isn't listen it, to it yourself. Isn't it time for Nancy Sullivan to deliver the goods? I don't think they're ever going to be delivered. I mean, I, I look, I mean, what's she going to say? She doesn't, she's, you know, it, it's pretty clear from the podcast that, uh, in her view, it's not impossible that Norcross was involved in the murder, right? I mean, she, she reported once that the, okay, so the, the guy, the New Jersey political hack who has now pled guilty to hiring the hitmen who four months before this murder has, uh, you know, he, he hired the hitmen to stab somebody and burn the house down. Uh, she reported, as I said before, that uh, Ray, a, a political figure named Ray Lesniak introduced this political hack to Norcross around the time that this political hack clearly knew how to find somebody who would stab somebody and burn their house down. Okay, so um, she's, and then uh, Lesniak came out and said, I didn't, that's not true. And Solomon reported that and added a story or something. But um, she's clearly not ruling out the possibility of Norcross involvement. Isn't, but she also clearly doesn't have any kind of smoking gun, as she said. The logical thing for her to do is to arrange some sort of interview with Norcross where he uh, shows flashes of temper or, 
or or something that incriminates them. He's not going to do that for her. I mean, I as I told you, her lawyers called his lawyers called her. He was supposedly listening in, but he didn't say anything. And they said, you know, you have no evidence of blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, you're right. I have no evidence. This is all on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. But he's not going to he's not going to come out. And no, he's not stupid. Um, I mean, just wouldn't regardless of whether or not he is involved, it just probably wouldn't. I don't I don't think he has anything to benefit by by this would make the whole thing much more conspicuous and get there a must, whole bunch of publicity for the there insinuation. Must, there must be there must be some uh you know traditional way to ramp up the innuendo. A, 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 I'm doing Netflix, my best. A Netflix, but it's only the a Netflix series. A Netflix series. <laughs> yeah. Showtime. Well, well, I mean, as I said, there's already people can review Quibi. my there are other interesting things. I mean, people can go back and listen to early parrot rooms, look for the phrase Philadelphia Inquirer, other interesting things. But, you know, one thing that just in terms of forget all Norcross, just a level of, of corruption in New Jersey. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. As, as I told you last week, evidence came out in a lawsuit that, you know, uh, Norcross you know, this guy who's a landlord and rents uh, uh, space to a county agency or something, he gets, a, a, you know, something in the mail saying, hey, you've got 10 invitations to this dinner, $1,000 a pop. In other words, they want $10,000 from him. He doesn't deliver the $10,000. The county agency quits after he has a talk with George Norcross right. and says, I just can't, I don't have the money. The county agency quits paying him the rent. Now you tell me, you know more about the law right. than I do. This was documented clearly in a civil suit and there was a settlement of the civil suit, but should it have not been, I mean, isn't this pretty obvious kickbacks? Isn't this just kickbacks? Shouldn't there have been prosecution based on this evidence? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask Andy McCarthy. I would think that would be tough to prove on the basis of what you just told me. Okay. Even though you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, remember? Okay. Um, the, uh, anyway, thank you for the update. Uh, the, uh, I have a word to say about Matt Iglesias. Oh, good. Um, well, I'll yeah, defend him. I'll defend he, him against okay. whatever you say. Well, he writes this, uh, tweet, uh, you know, he's, he's in the process. He, he, he actually apologized for a tweet where he said after the shooting, we should remember that America is still a great country and. People still want to come here because it's a nice country. And um, he, he got so much shit for that. He, I think he had, he, he had to grovelingly apologize for it. Uh, not, uh, I don't think, he, I don't know if he took it down. I think he did take it down. But uh, uh, so he's, he's in the, he's in a sort of contrarian, let's be moderate uh, phase in which, in which he sort of says, maybe we Democrats could win more elections if we were more, uh, more moderate on, on a lot of issues and it's sort of buying into the David Shore analysis. What I didn't, I have, I have accused David Shore of only wanting Democrats not to talk about unpopular issues, not actually to change their position. I'm not, I, looking at some of his recent tweets. I'm not sure that that's true. I think he may actually want them to change position on some issues. And there may be a bias in that he wants them to actually change the positions on the, on the issues where he disagrees with them. And not change them with the issues where he does disagree with them. Anyway, it, 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 Iglesias has been the voice of moderation, and he says, 
but for the record, if you're considering dropping out of high school in order to become a non-employed single mother, I would recommend that you choose a different path in life. Perfectly reasonable thing to say. Don't become an unemployed single mother. And, and Wait, say it again. If you're, if you're considering dropping out of high school in order to become a non-employed single mother, I would recommend that you choose a different path in life. Okay. And some asshole tweeted back, but we will reward you with a significant monthly refundable child tax credit if you decide to go ahead with it. Um, and uh, to which Wait, he was that asshole you? Yes. And he, um, that was a good guess. Right? He replied, I mean, it wasn't was obvious guess. that you were talking about yourself. That was a pretty subtle. I mean, was that was I supposed to pick that up or should I congratulate myself for picking it up? Somewhere in between. Are anyway. you trying to conceal your identity much as the FBI um, concealed Mark Sussman's identity, Mickey? No. Um, the uh, and it's wish Iglesias replied, absolutely. In other words, uh, you know, endorsing giving a refundable child tax credit to uh, women who decide to become non-employed single mothers. Child allowance reduces poverty, improves outcomes, is good. Even with a child allowance in place, don't become an unemployed single mother would still be good life advice. Well, yeah, but he, I mean, he has to admit there's some tension between rewarding people, giving people money if they make the wrong decision and subsidizing them and supporting them and it being a wrong decision. And if it induces enough people to make this wrong decision, then maybe the outcomes wouldn't be so good. It's a question of which which has more influence on the outcomes, the bad incentive or the uh, providing these people with uh, money and reducing poverty. And he has to confront that. Uh, he no, can't he just. <laughs> uh, I mean, he could just believe that the incentive effects are minimal, which they could be. I don't know. Maybe you've got evidence that they're not, but that he, he could believe the incentive effects are so modest that on balance, human well, then he welfare should make that served. argument that he should make that argument. Well, he's just dismissing some pesky clown now. Life is short, uh, uh, you know? Um, I'm kidding, Mickey. You're not a pesky clown. I I, I was actually, uh, he's a blue check. I don't rarely get blue check responses, Bob. I was no, flattered. You should, be, you should swell with pride. I was flattered. This is this is uh, almost as exciting as Lawrence Summers saying, didn't you used to be a serious person? Um, that is so, flattering. Uh, uh, it is flattering. It's a little like being insulted by the major D of Dukes, right? Yeah, it's it's like when every Mike, time I got trashed by Michael McFall. Every time you come in here, the cockroaches come out of the walls. Exactly. I mean, that's like the that's the best thing he can say to you, right? Speaking of major D's, <laughs> this is a strange transition, but you know, Ray Liotta died. I know. I was supposed to be deeply moved by that, and I wasn't. Well, did you see Goodfellas? Yeah, yeah, that was a great movie. That and he was good, man. And he and improvised got, the great and he improvised a great scene. Which which one is improvised? The one with Joe Pesci, who you call him funny. Oh, is that partly improvised? They worked it up themselves, yeah. That's a great scene. That is a great <laughs> scene. I I told you I, I had this uh I had almost the same scene with David Geffen once when he um oh, we are dropping some names. Well, he was at a party. First Larry was, Summers, was, now David. I know, Duffin. I know. I'm I'm off the rails here. I'm out of control. Uh, the uh, this is many years ago. It was at a something at Mayor uh, Villaraigosa's house. Some some seminar on bipartisanship led by 
Matthew Dowd, who seemed like he was on drugs. Um, Can you say that even in the parrot room? Seemed, seemed, seemed like he was on drugs. Seemed. He was perhaps so intoxicated with the prospect of bipartisanship. Okay. He seemed as if he were on the drug of bipartisanship. Anyway, uh, anyway, uh, anyway, uh, Geffen who is Matthew was a, Dowd again? Seriously, I mean, this is a serious. He's a Republican question. consultant who uh, specializes in trashing Republicans now, and and uh, and 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 uh, blocks anybody who even faintly criticizes him. Is he a Lincoln uh, Project type, or not quite? No, he's more of. Hmm. I have found religion. I am a. I am a golden moral being and type. The Lincoln. That's not the Lincoln Project. No, thing. it's it's the one I get up with, get mixed up with Jonah Goldberg's uh, magazine, which is uh, which is which. You know what I mean. I think he's even too much of a, w- a wimp for the, the bulwark. Bulwark. No, he's the dispatch. The bulwark is not Jonah. No, the bulwark is the one I get mixed up though. That's the one I meant. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, I, I had a, he, he he was he was going on. He was he was attacking something that should be attacked like the LA times. And he was doing it very, very well. And I started laughing. <laughs> like he said, what are you laughing at? <laughs> you, um, um, that's good. He had a Joe Pesci like reaction. I set him straight. Um, was it, did it get physical? He was, he, he was, no, he was right about the LA times, but, uh, but he did have, he, he, people are not used to people laughing inappropriately at their comments. Um, so Ray Liotta, just quickly, you're not going to, I think I segued from Maitre D to Ray Liotta. Do you know what the obscure connection is? The famous Copacabana scene where he walks into the Copacabana. Well, that was all over the web yesterday. Oh, was it? I didn't, I didn't follow it. It's taken in one shot. It's one of the longest. I didn't think it was that great. What do they call those single shots? Yeah, but it's pretty hard. Tracking. No, but there's shot. a name for uh, a single shot. I mean, there's also a famous one in Touch of Evil, uh, you know, a, a, and there's a famous one in The Player. But anyway, there's I, an unbelievable one in uh, in the in the movie with Kieran Knightley that was based on a novel where the guy assigned one of your books, Bob. Now that we're name dropping, what it said one of the, your books was one oh. of the ones that inspired him. It, it, it was Kieran Knightley. There's a famous sex scene in the library. It's uh, what are you talking about? It's, it's a no. I'll I'll find it anyway. Wait, wait, wait. No, this is like I I, I gotta know about this man. <laughs> There's my book. Name a name a, name a British no, name a British novelist. No, no. Na- I knew a, I knew that being a writer would finally lead to sex, as people claimed in some sense. Name a British writer who was always winning awards. Um, oh, oh, yeah, no, I know, I know who you mean. He now was that a, guy. He was friend of uh, his friends of either Martin Amos or Kingsley Amos, and his name. Oh shit! He thanked a bunch of people like me at the beginning of a novel, right? Like yeah, Edward right. O. Wilson and Steve Pinker, right? That guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Okay. <laughs> um. But I don't think I inspired a sex scene. I, I don't know. Um, I don't think so either. But um, um, well, I thought you were saying I did. I'm kind of crestfallen now a little bit. Anyway, he, um, 
she there's a uh, the the film version of this novel of his uh involved it has an incredible long single shot sequence lasts about 15 minutes of the uh the uh retreat from dunkirk um oh. doesn't quite pay off but it's incredibly is it, long it's not is it the movie dunkirk no. no, he didn't write a book about Dunkirk. He's a novelist. Right. It was a movie directed by some guy named Joe, and I'm looking for it here. Why don't I just look up IMDb? Can I just quickly say, because I'll probably never have a chance to say this in the parrot room again, that I think Martin Scorsese is a great director. And the reason is because his range goes so far beyond the gangster movies, which he's stereotyped for. But it's like, have you seen After Hours, King of Comedy? Have you seen those? I loved After Hours. Great movie, totally unlike his other movies. Uh, I King guess that's right. King of Comedy, amazing. Who knew Jerry Lewis could act? Right. King of Comedy is very good. Yeah, I agree. And there, and these are to, and those are two different kinds of movies themselves. Uh, After this movie, Hours. Yeah, go ahead. This movie was called Atonement. That's the book in which I believe he uh, thanks Correct. And evolutionary it was psychology types. Directed by Joe somebody, Joe Wright. Ah, there are all kinds of connections. And it has the longest tracking shot I've ever seen. Yeah, I guess tracking shot is it. Yeah, I, maybe you're right. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Uh, Scorsese is a great director. Oh, I was going to say, I saw After Hours when I lived in New York. And the, and the amazing thing about that was, as kind of bizarre as this one night in New York was, it was only, it seemed like only that far beyond what could actually happen. You know what I mean? Because everything was like, I don't yeah, know. It was, it was, it was everything um, was like a kind of a slight caricature of how weird New York actually was. Yeah. I think it was probably a Griffin Dunn project that he picked up. So it was not, it, that's Griffin one of the Dunn reasons it star. had a distinct character. I think he may have contributed to the screenplay too. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, anyway, it's a good movie. Very good. I agree. Um, although, uh, although so, I, I saw it again recently, and it's not as obviously comic as I considered it at the time. And by the way, Stanley Kaufman reviewed for the New, for the New Republic at the time. And maybe he saw it without an audience or something, special screening, but it seemed to completely escape him that it even was a comedy. But it was a comedy, right? He probably saw the word, name Scorsese and figured it must be a dark something or other. Well, that's well, the way he described it. There was the King no of Comedy was sort of a dramedy. The King of Comedy well, was, was sort dark. of half comedy. That was yeah, that was that was dark. Certainly dark. Um uh how do we get from Matt Iglesias to uh King of uh uh, the word maitre d left the word maitre d led to okay. liada i forget yeah, what led go. to maitre d yeah um uh so uh it looks like peter Thiel may wind up with two u.s senators after this is all over because his arizona candidate blake masters is surging into the lead in arizona in her, in his primary hmm. uh That's so bad. if he wins the nomination that means uh I, I think his his race against Kelly is much tougher than J.D. Vance's race against Tim Ryan in Ohio. But so I, I would guess that he'd be a toss up. But uh, 
but still, that that would uh, that would be an impressive achievement to to uh, you know contribute like twenty million, thirty million dollars, and wind up with two senators. What a weird Not that guy. they would slavishly take his advice, but who knows? Masters worked for him, right? Right. J.D. Vance worked for him. Did he? He was he was a he was a venture capitalist. He was went to work for Teal for a while. Yeah. Before he was famous? I don't know if it was before or after. It's a good question. Teal um, is such a weird guy. Um, yeah, and so I wonder what the relationship with him and Elon Musk is. They were both in the PayPal mafia, right? Yeah, well, there's some pictures, an unbelievable picture of him and oh yeah, where Musk Elon looked, Musk with that was Musk looked like he's 14. Yeah, except except that he's already he doesn't have his hair transplants and he's already a little bald. Oh really? Yeah. I guess mine haven't kicked in yet, have they, Bob? No, if you if you had his fortune, you could afford to have a totally different texture on the top of your head. I I have pe- I know friends who are not that much richer than I am, and they're doing it. It's coming down in price. I I think Joe Biden has some. Uh, yeah, well he yeah, he was a pioneer, thing. but uh, yeah. It, but I I I somebody tried to warn me away. Said it's very painful. They only go like an inch at a time. And I think I think she just wanted her husband to have the only hair transplant in town. She was just wait, to, she was scared that I was going to be too attractive if I had this done. So what you mean? Just the process itself is painful. Yeah, they take hairs out of the side of your head, which doesn't sound unpainful, and they implant them on the top of your head. But it works. Yeah, but that's short short term pain, and then a lifetime of fabulous sex, Mickey. I mean, it's pretty clear Correct. how the cost re- benefit ratio works out. Correct. Um, so what are we what are we waiting for? I don't get it. I'm confused. We're waiting for a couple of my friends to have it and see how it turns out. Is that actually happening? Yes. Okay. There's also an article by Joel Stein about it that I have to read. But I would I would trust what Joel Stein said about it. Joel Stein I, is a very funny writer who has said some at some point he said some pretty I was impressed with how fearlessly, radically uh, opposed to whatever the foreign policy convention of the day was. He was like like radical left foreign policy stuff or something. He's a brilliant guy and why he's like, like he's too brilliant for what he's doing. Meaning he's comedy too, writing? Yeah. What I mean, he can obviously doing? do that very easily, right? You know, funny pieces for magazines about having hair transplants. But he should be doing more. So should I, but what the hell? But I'm not I'm not as talented as he is. Oh, you're too modest. He can write about anything and make it funny. Uh so there. Um he he, he can be very funny. Kinsley was very impressed by it. Where's he where's where do you see his stuff? For a while, he, he was writing, he had a column at Time magazine or something. That's why it was so surprising that he was suddenly so radical. He yeah. was like this mainstream guy. Well, time had a party at Davos. I thought that was sort of uh, ballsy. I mean, talk about not being, you know, the, the world is plunging in a depression. Uh, the Russia is, is pursuing war crimes in Ukraine, and they have a big blowout party in Davos. I have it in for Mark Benioff, the head Salesforce. of Salesforce. He owns time now. 
Does he? Yeah. I mean, Silicon Valley's power is really making itself felt. Not that time is what it used to be, but still, you got Teal sending guys to the Senate. You got Elon about to own Twitter, we think. Uh, you got Benioff. By, you know, and you got Bez, uh, what's his name? Um, Bezos. Well, Bezos is feeling left out, I guess. Well, he owns the Washington Post, and he's oh, there you go. He's keeping its editorial line very hawkish as he sells big things to the Pentagon. Well, they haven't announced the new editorial page editor, have they? I got a I feeling it it's not going to be me, Mickey. The uh, well, well, if you were putting out a news magazine, Bob, there would be your cover story. Yeah, it would be Silicon Valley weighs in. Silicon Valley eats the world, eats the press. You. But the question is, is there coherence in its influence? The, the story would would answer that question, Bob. That would be the answer, yes. It would explore it, and it would have a smart take on it. Yeah, that's what we would do. But um, since I so, don't own a Newsweekly, we'll never know what the answer is. Uh, the Bush dynasty looks like it's ending. Or yeah, people are saying yeah. it's ending because they, they lost three generations last, is enough. Three generations last, of imbeciles is enough. The, the youngest generation guy who I who I didn't dislike at all lost his race for attorney general in Texas. Uh wait, can you we know, pause and give me some credit for that ad lib? Three generations of imbeciles is enough. You recognize that, right? Yes, Buck versus Bell. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, but was it three in Buck versus Bell? No, I, I guess it, no, it was more than three, I think. I think it might have been three. For you younger and, people, famous, uh, it was the Supreme Court upholding eugenics, right? Saying, you know, uh, you should be able to involuntarily sterilize people with low IQs or something, right? You, correct. And the line, and was that an actual Supreme Court ruling? Six generations? I think so. I think, it was in a I think it was in a dissent. I think it was from Oliver Wendell Holmes, who... Well, but did Buck versus Bell uphold? The I think eugenics? So. Well, then it I'm wouldn't sure have been a dissent, would it? Well, good question. Then it wouldn't be a dissent. You're right. But I doubt, I can't believe that that language was in a majority opinion. Um, you know, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, he has a eugenic background. Uh, does he? His father wrote a novel called, uh, it's either called The Bad Seed, but it's basically about the bad seed, mm -hmm. about criminality being passed on from generation to generation. Hmm. So there um, you go. Uh, um, so anyway, you were saying three generations. You about? were saying the Bush great-grandchild oh, yeah. is I was thinking, smart, but... And I was hmm. thinking, well, the Clinton dynasty is over also, but the Clintons, unlike the Bushes at least, seem to have a way to, to, to earn a living that doesn't involve politics. The Clintons... You know, if the Clintons don't have anybody running for office, they're in real trouble because their whole operation depends on milking money from rich people on the basis of one day a Clinton may be in office deciding the fate of your company, buddy. And don't you want to have given to the Clinton initiative? OK, uh, so they can't do that sort of shakedown operation if they're completely out of politics. The Bushes, to their credit, don't have that shakedown operation. They become lawyers and Etc. And pursue more subtle shakedown operations, but I don't think I don't think even now anybody thinks, oh, I better hire Jeb as my lawyer because he might be governor again. Uh, 
you know, they, they think he has influence, he has friends, he has connections. But, you know, that's a, le- a level more legitimate than having a whole foundation that just depends on corporations giving you money. It's funny, though. There are Hillary allies in the Biden administration, right? Jake Sullivan, certainly. Right. Well, Ron Klain worked for Hillary. She betrayed Biden to go to work for Hillary. Then he had to suck up to Biden to get back in. And he must he must be an incredible suck up because he succeeded. So that doesn't uh, buy Hillary any uh, influence. I who the hell knows? I mean, I mean, does Ron Klain tell Biden everybody he talks to? I, I mean, doubt I'm it. not sure they care. I mean, they've got enough money. Who says their main goal is to extract money from people? Uh, do they have enough money to live at their style for the rest of their lives while employing huge staffs, including Sidney Blumenthal? I don't think so. Well, they get a lot of free support because he's the next president. First of all, they get a lot of free staff, I'm sure. Right. I'd be an interesting question. So I'd like to see somebody do the finances of the Clintons. Do they have to do this embarrassing thing? Uh, but you know, it's, 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 um, they're great failing. This is why, you know, this is the case for more children. If you're going to do one of these political dynasties, don't put all your marbles on Chelsea Clinton because she might turn out to be a dud. And then where are you? I mean, they've made enough money so that if they invested, if they just put it in index funds, they're totally fine. I mean, Hillary is getting a billion dollars per speech or something. They, they, they both, you know, have been in a position where they could just go make $100,000 a day giving speeches. And uh, they've made a lot of money. His book, you got a huge advance. You know, I'm sure they were, he didn't get a super, well, maybe he did. I assume he didn't get a too meager salary from the Clinton Foundation. And and in any event, that was no doubt a vehicle for various kinds of, you know, deal making. I, I just, I'm not sure that they're like desperately trying to make ends meet. Um. And they're pretty old. This, this makes me think of Obama. Once once showbiz realizes that he's a dud and his shows don't sell. Which and, ha- is happening about yeah, now. How does he how does he how does he how does he keep himself living in the style to which he's become accustomed? He could write another book. He has well, a beautiful Michelle's voice. Michelle's book could, made a ton of money. Right. He's a beautiful voice. He could he could look. Do a, he can give speeches for a hundred k a pop. He can give speeches, okay. And I mean, Michelle, I mean, he can give a few speeches and make a million a year. Uh, and you if, know, he's doing fine. If Michelle's a Democrat, she really owes it to her party to run for president. So she's one of the few, probably the only person who could walk away with it. See, I think, I don't know, I think you're kind of projecting here because Hector is a very highly paid pool boy, but some people, you know, hire, you know, people with lesser skills. I was just, I was switching the topic to, uh, to answer your earlier question of who, who, who the top Democratic nominee is. Obviously, Michelle, you can get her. Hmm, Michelle. Now that is an interesting, I haven't thought of that. I would much everybody her people to have thought of that. People have thought of that. What's so bad about that? I mean, you know, she's she, the only every everybody agrees it's a total winner. It's just she doesn't want to do it. She doesn't? No. 
or she says she doesn't. Remind her that the motto when she entered Princeton was Princeton and the neighbor, nation service. Well, she she has plenty of time. She has plenty of time to change her mind. So. Why don't you work on it? I'll have a word with uh, Michelle if I see her reunions. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I, the motto at some point changed to Princeton in the service of the nation and the world. I guess. I would say, how could I how could I have a segue to national service? But I think you've provided me with it. Um, Lucky me. You didn't want to. You didn't want to talk about national service, and this no. This but dovetails the, with, this is this. I'll tell you what. What it dovetails with. This is this is perfect timing. I have to excuse <laughs> myself for like just a minute and a half. And you know, you did this to me once, and I got into some kind of trouble. I forget what kind, but anyway. Go ahead and no, tell I, people all the stuff I already know about national service, and I will return. No, right. we, you're going to be surprised with my content, Bob. Well, I will listen to the. the I will listen to this content. later and be surprised. Then, okay, take it away, Mickey. Okay, um, so Luke Russert, who's the son of Tim Russert and Marie North, uh, and he's working on some kind of book, uh, and I think is very very smart. I once saw his uh, show about politics on cable, and it was really really good. Uh, anyway, he um, he's, he he said uh, uh, he wrote a tweet uh, defending national service uh, and saying, you know, wouldn't it be good if uh, if um, people who like like this shooter were were and everybody was required to uh, be part of an organization that did good with people from all different classes and walks of life and races, uh, and they were exposed to each other and worked together as a team. And this would be a good uh, centering experience for people. And it would also presumably uh, solidify uh, affection for the country. Um, and I agree with that. I think, you know, the, 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 one of the main trends in society is we're coming apart by class, by race. And we're lonely. And uh, these are two growing problems. And this is an, an antidote for that. Uh, maybe not successful, but worth a shot. Anyway, it reminds that's now that's all. Once you said that, you've basically said everything there is to say about national service. And I had a big argument with a friend of mine, Tim Noah, who writes about national service all the time. And I claim it is impossible to write about national service uh, in an entertaining fashion. And that all articles about national service, with a couple of exceptions, are inherently boring. And this is one of the reasons why we don't have national services, because there's no way to write about it that's at all entertaining. I, I I wrote one thing about national service that was passable, and that's only because it was edited by Catherine Boo, who is a genius and can make anything sound good, uh, and she made it barely readable. But most of them are unreadable because you know exactly what's going to come next. Uh, so, um, and, 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 uh, uh, as I told him, this is a hill I will die on. You can, it is impossible to write unless you're fantastically talented way beyond my talents. Um, uh, it's impossible to write it about national service in an interesting way. I feel so refreshed. There's nothing like a power nap during a national service rant, Mickey. I'll tell you, I feel like Bob, a million I went off dollars. message. I went off message. You didn't talk about national service, but you would know. You would know. You missed it. You, you'd rather. Uh, 
Did you talk about me? Do something. Do something for a minute. Um, maybe you, you know, maybe you're off with your uh, your uh, virtual reality game, getting some exercise. I don't know. It's a power nap. Just a power nap. I feel uh, so much better. So feels yeah. restored. The other thing on my list is uh, before we get to severance. Uh-huh. Uh, isn't the suggestion from somebody, some military writer, which rings true, that that the Ukraine war has proved the vulnerability of all platforms? Basically, the the planes get taken down by any plane missiles. You know, the ships get taken down by any ship missiles. Tanks get taken down by javelins. Uh, and we've built our whole military on these platforms that can now be taken down by our enemies with a few equivalents to javelins. Isn't 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 it time to rethink our military? And wasn't Gary Hart even writer than we thought in retrospect when he argued for building a lot of little cheap things as opposed to one big super expensive thing like an aircraft carrier? Could be. I haven't thought about it. I mean, people have said I haven't heard this idea that all platforms are doomed. Apparently. Some people say it's true that these Russian hypersonic missiles are particularly impressive uh, and could be a danger to well, a number of our platforms. But, uh, there, you know, I don't know. There seems to be some theory, some principle of defense, which is every weapon breeds its counterweapon. But why is that necessarily true? I mean, we have no solution to the problem of school shootings. So the problem of loner shootings has not bred a counterweapon. Even if we passed all these gun controls, uh, it yeah. would not be enough to stop shooting. So there's an asymmetric threat that cannot be countered. Uh, and why aren't missile gu guided missiles an asymmetric threat that cannot be countered? Uh, at least by a big platform, you could be countered by a swarm of little platforms. Um, well, there are anyway, there are there is you know effective anti missile defense. I don't think I, I don't think it's up to hypersonic missiles. Maybe, but um, I mean, it, you is know, it effective? It affected like you would go to sleep at night knowing that you were under attack by missiles because you had an effect. Had, uh, well, shield defense. I mean, I will say that the the Moskva, this uh, I think what a cruiser or something that was taken out by a missile. Apparently, a it was an old boat that hadn't been upgraded in a long time, and b its its radar wasn't even on. I mean, I mean, it was not. You know, like like this missile should have been taken out, even by a ship in its condition. And so it's not as if there are no defensive defenses against these smart weapons. But it does seem like a pretty rapid arms race going on. Um, I don't know. But this guy, Michael Kaufman, the the you know, the the new star analyst of this particular war, uh says that this stuff is being overstated, the demise of the tank and, you know, all these, you know, he says this is still to some extent an old fashioned artillery war. Um, in which case you would think these howitzers, if they ever get a lot of them up and running would be a pretty big advantage because they have a longer range than the Russian artillery. You'd think in an artillery duel, if your artillery goes two miles further than theirs, you kind of win. Right. But, uh, uh, well, artillery, know. artillery isn't necessarily a, a artillery. Maybe that have skipped a generation, and it may be the type of mobile 
non-platform weapon that succeeds in the new world. It's not like an aircraft carrier. You can move it around uh, quickly. You can, you know, it, it, you can have hundreds of them instead of one of them. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe it's maybe the, it's the exception that proves the rule, as they say. Could be. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I do know that I claimed in the regular podcast that I would do a little rant about media. Just uh, very quickly, like, I mean, the deal just seems to be, I mean, first of all, okay, so <clears throat> as I said, Washington Post and New York Times rely very heavily on this Institute for the Study of War, um, which is hawkish. And not that, I mean, they're not putting out untruths. It's just that they're kind of selective in their presentation. And I realize one thing they do in terms of accounting for why mainstream media is so late to report uh, bad news for Ukraine, it, it, it's, it's the following, is that the Institute for the Study of War won't report things until they are confirmed. And their definition of confirmed seems to be that the Ukrainian government confirms them. If the Russian government confirms them, it's a claim. And if the Ukrainian government confirms them, it's confirmation. And so they, they do. So, and so what happens is once something is confirmed, like, like this, this Russian advance from Papazna, like they, they reported that Russia had claimed it early on, but they didn't lead with that because it was only Russia that had claimed it. And then by the time that it's confirmed, they don't lead with that because it's old news. I mean, this really is the thing, is that because the Ukrainian government is late to acknowledge uh, bad news, all the bad news, according to the Institute for the Study of War, is old news. And so they they almost never lead with it. And, and I, I'm serious when I say I think that accounts for a lot of New York Times and the Washington Post, like kind of lateness to... Uh, and how report. does that serve their nefarious neocon end? Well, it's it's weird because you could argue it either way. You would think, right? You could you you could argue that um, the uh, that if they emphasize how dire the situation was, uh, that would strengthen Ukraine's pitch for more weapons. But all I know for sure is that they kind of are following Zelensky's line. Presumably, he knows what he's doing, public relations wise. I don't know. And the Institute for the Study of War goes with whatever the Ukraine government says in, in some sense. It's not all they report, but oh, in the sense that I just described. Now, let me just complain about a couple of – there's also this thing where the Times and the Post are so intent on even in acknowledging the bad news for Ukraine, framing it as, uh, you know, kind of – more Russian war crimes, more, you know, civilians die. And it just obscures the fact, uh, something that I think we need to take account of, is that lately we've been losing on the ground. You need to know that. But it's so uh, kind of obscured. Let me, I, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. So in the post today, and this is partly a, a product of the thing you and I both hate, which is the way the Times and the Post now have a series of, of, of fragmented updates, right, instead of the one masterpiece that, that gives you the latest total summary, 
which the w- Wall Street Journal still does. Anyway, just quickly, Washington Post. Here's the headline on the homepage. Russia advances in East. Okay, they're finally acknowledging that greatly. I click on that. Here's the lead paragraph supporting the headline, Russia advances in East. Here, here it is. President Volodymyr Zelensky accused Russia of executing, quote, an obvious policy of genocide, quote, in eastern Ukraine, while the mayor of one of the cities under attack warned it risked becoming a second Mariupol. The Russians' goal is clear, Zelensky said, to raise more towns in Donbass to rubble, as they did in Mariupol. They quote him saying that. That's the lead paragraph. Now, first of all, the idea of their goal is to raise more towns literally is nuts. They're going to inherit these towns. They're not, they don't, they don't want to maximize the amount of rebuilding they have to do. What has happened is almost all the civilians have left this town. The Ukrainian army is using the civilian infrastructure. I mean, that's where they are. That's where the fire is coming from. And I'm not defending anything the Russians are doing. I'm just saying, if you're an, if you were an actual journalist, if you want to do this wild thought experiment, suppose you're the Washington Post, but you're interested in actual journalism, this is the way you'd see it, okay? Isn't, it's there, like, isn't there a principle of brutal war also practiced by Assad in Syria, which is if you oppose me, not only will we kill you, but we'll destroy your town? Um, and that's not irrational because you discourage other people from doing it? I suppose that could be. That's a pretty different situation because it was more of like an insurgent. I, I don't know. I'd have to think it through. It can happen. And look, I would not rule out the possibility even that sometimes the Russians think they'll have a freer hand if the if the civilian population evacuates. And uh, so they're a little intentionally careless with the fire. But the fact is, that at this point, almost all the damage being done to the infrastructure is because they're returning uh, fire. Also, they can't afford to waste a ton of artillery fire shooting at anything other than what they think is Ukrainian soldiers, right? And uh, so that's by and large what's going on. And and look, the Russians have a much less surgical approach than the U.S. does. The U.S., when they went through Fallujah, very infantry heavy, they did less damage than the Russians would. I'm just saying that that the the literal, in the lead paragraph, the Zelensky claim that is reported that their goal is to raise more towns in Donbass to rubble. At this point, the civilians have basically left it's it's like that's just not what's going on. I'm sorry. And uh, now, finally, in paragraph four, they say by Friday, Russian forces controlled nearly two thirds of the city's perimeter. Though they've not yet taken se- Severodonetsk, Russian forces are making steady gains in the Luhansk Oblast, where they control more than ninety five percent of the territory. Comma, according to the Institute for the Study of War. So, you know, they've. Uh, the Institute for the Study of War is reporting it three days after it was the case, and the Post dutifully obliges. There's a just uh, even here. Oh, here. So here's the Times today, same day. Homepage headline: Live updates: colon, Destruction in Ukraine's east as civilian toll rises. Lead paragraph: Russian forces capturing of Lehman made it the second mid-sized Ukrainian city to change hands this week. The civilian deaths and suffering mounted a new report by international legal scholars and rights experts cited a genocidal pattern by Russia's military. I mean, again, the Russia has committed war crimes. 
Um, but it's just, I, 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 I don't think the Times of the Post is doing a good job of telling us, you know, important things that are happening on the actual ground. They're, they're, they're only in a tardy fashion reporting actual setbacks and they always feel compelled to code it, uh, you know, in, in the, the framing that, uh, you know, Russia is committing atrocities. Do you think it's worse that it would have been, you know, they got all this practice in slanting the news during Trump when it was like, you know, Katie bar the door, all, all hands on deck, journalistic rules go overboard. We have to get this guy. Yeah. And, uh, so is this worse than it would have been before Trump? Oh, I totally I think. think so. I, I really, I, I think I saw a big change during the Trump years where the journalism just became more flatly partisan. I mean, it's hard to say. Uh, but I certainly don't think they covered even the Iraq war where we were actually in the war this one-sidedly. And, you know, I, I mean, look, again, when when you find, when somebody found, you know, I, I tracked this report down and it's some group I've never heard of. They found, you know, there are some legal scholars, I guess, saying that there's a genocidal pattern. Depending on how you decide genocide, it may be true. But depending on how you decide genocide, what Putin initially said to justify the invasion may be true, right? I mean... If you want to use a really lax definition of genocide, then they're all right, fine. But, but, um, uh, I, I, I just wonder what, I wonder what reporting was like during World War II, I guess, just one question. Well, there was much more actual censoring by the government. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, no, I think, whereas in Iraq, the government's approach was different. They, they embedded these journalists, um, yeah. I don't know. It was probably pretty pro uh, whatever. I just uh, well, 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 they're going to change their tune now, as we discussed in the in the regular podcast, because uh, the Ann Applebaum position is now that Putin's doing well. So uh, we have to send more arms to Ukraine. So uh, because, yeah. Um, so maybe they'll start reporting it uh, the other way around. Well, they are starting to acknowledge it. But again, I knew this a week ago, you know, and and. It's just kind of ridiculous that I have to follow. I have to spend all of this time trying to separate the wheat from the chaff in pro-Russia Twitter um, to get they don't, they don't the pay you enough for when that. it actually happens. What? No, they don't. Um, okay. I, I believe you. Am I going? Am I, I, you think I'm going overboard, right? It's just, it's just relentless. It's just. And and I got exactly this riled up about the way they reported about. I mean, Trump. it's a little like me and elections. You know, you don't. I don't have to go and and find out who's winning the recount. I'll eventually. I will. They'll tell me who won the recount if I just ignore well, see, it. That's but I still I, go there and monitor it. And you go to you go to Russia's with attitude to find out what the Russians are doing. You'll right. find out eventually anyway. No, I admit that I am, and this is the reason I stayed off of Ukraine Twitter this last week. Uh I am unhealthily interested in the ups and downs of the war. And I don't totally understand why that is. I mean, my father was in it's the a army. Sporting event. What? Well, that's what I hate about it. It is almost like watching the football game, which is kind of gross. Right. Uh, I don't know. I've, 
stop worrying about that. If I get interested in anything, I'm so happy. Um, <laughs> Mickey, that's sad. One thing I'm not that interested in is severance. You're not really. I'm. I'm. I, I'm on the third episode. I'll. I'll watch more. But it's. It's. Uh, I'm not hooked. For one thing, the the writing is not that good. They seem to specialize in creating awkward situations, which, which like they. Uh, well, that dinner party, that first dinner party in the first scene, where like everybody's an asshole. And, That's not nearly as bad as the Station Eleven dinner party. Okay, I missed the Station Eleven dinner party, but. It's like people saying, well, it's morally and ethically troubling that you had this severance, you know, and then there was a black guy who was one of their buddies and he he says basically stupid things. And well, I, I thought you'd like that because well, you're, complaining this like went about overboard. you're complaining. But when everybody <laughs> is everybody is when the black when, when the white guys are all like, OK, and the black guy is like a qualitative level stupider, then he gets to say something that's profound at the end. But. What do you uh, say? I forget. What do you say is profound? That, well, you're so yourselves are prisoners there at at whatever corporation, well, Lumen Corporation. You're pretty and, fucking uh, hard to please. Your complaint about Station Eleven was that the black woman, because right. she was black, had to be this perfect character. Okay, right. So now you treat got, blacks like normal people. Well, that's what they Station Eleven does. They don't have to be saints. Does. They don't have to be dunces. That's what Station Eleven does. You've got a variety of black characters. You got the guy who says the dumb thing at the dinner party. You're talking about Severance. You said Station Eleven. Yeah, sorry. That's what Severance says. You got the black guy who says the dumb thing at the dinner party. You got the, the, well, you haven't seen all these characters yet. But anyway, you got a variety. You got. There's a black factotum at, there's a black factotum at uh, the Lumen Corporation who's actually an interesting character. So he's okay. Yeah. Well, and he is kind of, he is smart but evil, right? He's, he's, He's creepily ominous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Honest, and then you've yeah. got a very the, you'll later find a, a very smart, scientifically oriented black woman, a a a you know reasonably smart and very good uh, black woman. The, the black scientist woman is uh, possibly a little too obsessed. She's not I mean, a perfect character. I, anyway, I, I thought after your complaint about Station Eleven. You'd love a black guy saying a dumb thing at a dinner party. I was thinking you'd just well, be wrong. like, my moment has arrived. What is it you do want, Mickey? What do you want I've out explained of your black what characters? I want. What? What? No, normal characters. Who are with, like who? With, well, the, 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 the black factotum at Lubin is fine. He's an He's interesting fine. character. He's somewhere within the range of normal human plausibility. The, 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 in general, the show is just one awkward conversation after another. It's like, it's like they revel in torturing you with awkwardness, which, which, uh, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm not confident they could write an unawkward scene if they had to. Is uh, what are the other awkward? I mean, look, it's a totally weird setup. Okay, you've got there's all these awkward scenes who don't know who they are. Kind of, they don't know what their non-work selves are. Well, that's that's not a defense that we've set up. As we have established a setup that. Uh, you know, that provides you only with this searingly one-dimensional uh, awkward situation. Uh, I don't know. That's, it seems like that's a problem with the setup then. Well, to me, the the weirdness of the conversational tenor among the coworkers is just like figuring that out as part of figuring out like what is the deal like? Okay, they, you know, what what is it like to be one of them? And I guess it's weird 
in this particular way. And, and, and as for their superiors, it's like you're still trying to figure out what nefarious shit they're up to. And so, you know, and the, everything is a clue. But and the if other, it seems and, weird, maybe that's just the deal. The, you know, I, I, I'd be willing to watch eight episodes to find the answer. But there's a season two. So you're not going to find out the answer at, at the end of episode at series season one. You're right about uh, that. So <laughs> so, you know, if, if the answer is, you know, the 1984 answer, which is we just like to torture you because we like to torture you. Um, uh, we're not going to find that out for five seasons. Don't you find some of the Fuck characters that. fascinating? What do you think of the lead female character? I she's great. The, she and, she's the, great. and the lead male character is great. You, let me ask you a personal question. Do you have a crush on the lead female character? Getting there. <laughs> the, uh, but, um, but you know, anyway, the, the, I don't have a crush on, I don't have a crush on, the guy with the mustache, who's obviously going to be important, the guy who John Voigt falls in love with, is interested in, except right. John Voigt turns out to be Christopher Walken. They right, both I was going to say John Voigt's wearing, not in this. Christopher Walken wearing John Voigt makeup, so he looks exactly like John Voigt. Hadn't occurred to me. Uh, anyway. So um, Irv, you don't like Irv. Don't like Irv. Irv seems uninteresting. I think all uh, of the characters are good. Irv, and I like the way I like the idea that there's some kind of generic, you know, essence of them that survives the transition from Audi to any, and yet they don't remember the specifics of of their lives, you know. Except for except for his neighbor, who obviously got a one time exemption. Petey? No, Mrs. What's her face? Arquette, Patricia Arquette. Uh, well, she's one of the bosses, though. She's like, but her, but she's allowed to be in any while she's in Audi. I don't think she has. Severed. Right, she's management. Management doesn't. Management get doesn't severed. have to sever. No, she's not severed. Oh Jesus! Okay, well, so that even that's not even a point of dispute. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, so, um, well, I found I found Glad her we character. Clarified that her find her character is incredibly tedious too. A lot of I don't tedium. know. She's pretty. I like her. She's she's pretty. She's pretty fucking ominous, man. What do you think they're doing uh, when during the refining? Well, I, I got bad news for you. You don't know for sure by the end of the first season. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. And it, it's that's part that's like uh, weird. Like what they're they're reacting emotionally. I mean, if they can flesh that out successfully, like. If they can explain why reacting emotionally to this data amounts to analyzing the data in a useful way, if they can come up with a plausible explanation for that, my hat will be off to them because I don't have a clue. My working theory, which is derived entirely from a headline of an article I didn't read, which is that AI, AI research discovers that symmetry plays an important role. My theory is that they are involved in some development of some sort of AI brain. But I could be wrong. Could be. I mean, to be honest, the, um, what's the name of, uh, oh, shit. You know, the sci-fi show that we both watched that. Um, Outer Limits? No, no, no. I mean, the new. Twilight new, Zone? No, streaming. Pretty recent one with belters and. Oh, the expanse. The expanse. The 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 that the the 
what exactly that kind of intelligent superorganism thing was up to never was never fleshed out to my satisfaction. Well, but it's an intelligent superorganism. It doesn't. Yeah. So anyway, well, it's, for, it's, it's still going on, Bob. So one day you'll find out. Yeah. Also, I didn't, I didn't even quite finish it. I got to that threshold where he and his beloved flew off to Mars or some planet, but the now station 11, that's the um, right place to quit. Yeah. It's a natural place. Station 11 I finished, and you know, I got to give it credit. Look, it's not exactly my cup of tea, a little Hallmark cardish in places. Um, but I give credit to anything that takes on serious issues. I didn't think it was a super plausible post apocalyptic world. Um, uh, I, I thought it was uh, too schmaltzy in places, but a lot of interesting themes. And I wish the novel itself the novel within the novel station 11 within the series station 11 had been fleshed out better in ways that connected it more clearly to what was going on. Well, speaking of plot holes, i.e. they don't have guns is an obvious plot hole in severance. I think, which is if you, if you, if you want to quit severance, just don't go back to work. Is it, Get in yeah, a car, but, drive yeah, but away. that's not the version of you that wants to quit. It's the any that wanted to quit. When the when the woman is denied, when that woman you have a crush on, right? Is, but right, but 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 there, there there must also be people who just want to quit because they don't like the way their lives are going, even though they don't know what they're doing. And uh, uh, they, they they the loyalty they, they can't have more than. 60% loyalty to, to the corporation. There must be 40% of the people who want to quit, even though they don't know what they're doing once well, they're in the corporation. And then, so they don't show up. Well, maybe, but there's no example of an Audi who wants to quit and can't quit. Presumably if they want to quit, they can quit. They, they, just, they, right. get, they just don't show up for work. They don't get tracked down by Patricia Arquette. Not so far as they know. I mean, that might be a consequence, but they don't know that it is. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. Okay, you're right, but you know, the, don't those feelings of like generally feeling sick to your stomach and bad? Don't they they carry through? So you um, feel like crap when you leave work. You feel like crap when you're out of work. And anyway, it's a stupid prince. It's a stupid premise. Who cares whether they get severed or not? Uh where's the premise of devs? Can they produce many worlds with a computer? Is an interesting premise. I think the sever the severance thing again. You know, various ways to take it. Allegory uh, about work life balance or about uh, oppression of workers. Also, the you know more metaphysical questions. If it's not about the redemptive power of art, Bob, I don't want to watch it. I fi a final word in defense of Station Eleven. Like I am, uh, because I like things that tackle serious questions and at least make you think. Although I have no doubt that Succession, you know, the thing that's about the thinly disguised Murdoch family, I'm, I'm sure Succession, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's a better series. But I don't think I would, after I watched it, consider that time well spent. I would think I would consider time wasted, no matter how good it is. Uh, whereas I don't consider watching Station Eleven time wasted. Huh. Um, okay. Uh, so, well, 
Mickey, I'm going to do such a quick little screen share trick just to, I'm, and then I, I apologize if my rant about media and Ukraine sounds unhinged. Again, I condemn the invasion and everything. I hope the good guys win. I'm just not sure this helps. But anyway, final thing, this New York Times thing. Okay, here we go with like a killer screen share. You ready? Whoops. Wait, why isn't this working? Uh, oh, yeah, there it is. Okay, so. See this, Mickey? Yeah. Okay, it says Russia's shrinking war. The goal of Russia's invasion keep getting smaller, but its depleted military is still failing to make major advances. And time is on Ukraine's side. And first of all, this is a big theme. Of, this is a big way they take the edge off of Russian victories. So, like they'll report them and say, uh, you know, in a sign of Russia's shrinking aims, they took a village in a small part of the town. Anyway, so this does at first look like, wow, yeah, they've really lowered their ambitions. Okay, you want to take a look at the screen? Can you see this cursor? So you got, yeah. this, is, this is where all the action was all around, like the the uh, crescent of, of Ukraine. And now it's, it's down to this, like, whoa, they've lowered their aspirations. But well, remember, the reason there's no more conflict here is because they won. They have all they, this territory. They've pacified the other places. Right. Yeah. So, so basically, most of what they wanted, they or at least most of where the action was, they've gotten. And I'm not celebrating. It just seems like the Times is like they're just all bending over backwards to sugarcoat this thing. And uh, I'm against that. Um, now you're going to show me impressive. something. You're going to show me something. I'm showing a picture of a Uyghur woman tied up in a tortured position. Oh, God. Oh, man. Uh, ah. It leaked out. Yeah. So um, anyway. Well, I mean, there's no blood. She's just being tortured. The uh, uh, well, still. But I mean, that's. Uh, I mean, that's that's flat out torture. Um. And they were showing her severance. No, sorry. Mickey. Uh, sorry, that's bad taste. Um, that's bad. I'm glad you carried the like <laughs> bad taste mantle away from me. Uh, I was, you know, just when just when they're preparing those comments to call me a Putin apologist, My, you step in and and very graciously attract all of the incoming fire. Yeah. Thank you. The um my idea of torture is being in a cab playing WFAN all sports talk radio. You don't like that? No. I, I kind of like, it's just funny how obsessive it is. It's funny what a big part of a lot of people's lives sports is. For the first five minutes, it's funny what obsessive, how obsessive it is. I like to hear obsessive. But if they have it really high. What, and my best cab experience was this completely homegrown black uh, driver from the hood who had a series of eight-track tapes of Cream, and he was totally into the band Cream, and he thought it was the greatest thing he'd ever heard. White Room. What? White Room. Let me like even White Room. Terrible song. It even White Room. Really? You don't like White Room? No. I think it's a great song. And generally, I don't like Cream. And Cream was I, what? Eric I Clapton? 
Eric Clapton, Ginger, Ginger Baker, Baker. And, and somebody named Bruce. Somebody Bruce. Jack Bruce, somebody Bruce. And there's only Eric Clapton left. But I, they just had a terrible sound. They had, you know, I, I like Eric Clapton, but this it was very distinctive, but uh but you know, they needed one more instrument. What can I say? Now Mickey, lopsided ape, comment or lopsided ape says, in answer to a question I raised last time, the incentive for the main character to undergo severance is that the net total time he's in pain suffering is reduced. You know, I had asked the question like, it's not like having your any do the work is a reprieve because you're not even aware of that time passing. You right. know, you're just like, so what's, he says, would you suffer for eight or 16 waking hours? Uh, even if you could suffer for 100% of your waking hours in both scenarios, but the logical implication of that is commit suicide. If if life well, is but so it's bad, a way to, it's a way to get the advantages of committing suicide without actually committing suicide, and you can earn a living. No, but if the you time, really the time you're dead, you get paid for. Even better, that. there's the extremely high uh, pay per hour. You know, you're making infinite money per hour. There's that. Um. Okay, uh, what else? Ricky Rocketman. Oh, Ricky Rocketman says, re regarding the deleted comments alleged problem, as I understand it, Patreon has a known issue where editing comments multiple times makes them disappear. Possible explanation, folks. Um, Jeff Bolin says, correction for Bob about the timing of Elon's declaration on voting Republican in the next election. He said the same thing in this video podcast that aired several days before the tweet, and which was likely recorded several days before that. Yeah, but wait, wait. I think Jeff has a misunderstanding of what my point was. What is it? Uh, the point was that he anticipated the sexual harassment attack against him, and so he provided a... right. Uh, a reason right before it broke for people to support him right so even if he had arti already articulated the fact he was recycling it to distract attention well also he must have known this thing was coming down the pike anyway for you know for months and months and months so you know the point was he wanted a context in which he could he could say here comes some some you know attacks on me and this worked and it would have worked might have worked better if he had never said it before but worked <laughs> Do I, do I have to buy a Tesla just to show my support for Elon? That would be depressing. Yes, you do. I'm really sick of looking at Teslas here. I want to buy a Chevy Bolt, which is smaller, more comp, more uh, maneuverable, and so ugly that it's sort of interesting looking. I just saw uh, one of the Mustang electrics in person. That's pretty sharp looking. Oh, it's cool. Yeah. Why don't you get that? You're rich. Because it costs twice as much as a Bolt. Fire Hector, Fire Hector, and use rich. the money. I'm not that rich. Um, um, how much does it cost? My guess the Mustang is like 40, 50. Well, how and much the is the bolt? The bolt, the, the bolt is like ten thousand dollars less, fifteen thousand dollars less, and the bolt also catches fire, so you have to move it away from your house. Well, that's a compelling. That's exciting. That's, that's exciting. It's argument. like yeah, no, you're right. You should get it's the like, bolt. It's like. It's like buying the Range Rover. You never know when it's going to be like the Spinal Tap drummer. It adds a little frisson of excitement to your life. Yeah. Um, uh, I I don't know. You just don't see it. You don't see them, and it's you know it's it's going against type. You know, a type like me would buy the Elon car. No, you buy the crappy car that's built by the UAW. Uh, 
But it's not crappy. It's a quite a good car. So. Well, I've been wondering about like when is Elon going to do a major redesign? Is there already one? You know, because those cars look, they look nice. I like the way he's bucking conventional trends. What is it? The Tesla three is the one you see everywhere. It's a it's a cool. You see look. them all everywhere. You can't tell them apart. It's a I, I like the way it's indifferent to current styling. It's it's simple. It's graceful. But at some point, doesn't he have to come up with something fundamentally you would think. new or not? You would think that point would be when the sales curves dips downward, though, and it hasn't done that yet, I guess. A lot of competition um, coming online, man. Uh anyway, I, I, I just don't want I just don't want to have to if you if you don't see me in a Tesla, it's either because I'm not I don't have any money or because I rebelled against the virtue signaling culture of our time. You should, but you should you should bite the bullet and get the Mustang. I'm sure our patrons would be happy to chip in. I'm sure the Tesla's a better car, though. That's the problem. But anyway, uh, I, I have friends who have the Bolt. They all love it. So that's the plan. Okay, I'm going to quickly Google it while you say anything you want to say about monkeypox. Well, I could try to sing a cream song, but that would be hard. Uh, <clears throat> White Room is a hard song to sing. Yeah. Uh, what's another cream song? I'll sing it. Just name a cream song. I'll sing. Their best song is actually the live version of Crossroads. But um, we're down to the crossroads. <laughs> That's it, right? Yeah. Whoa, the bolt is so weird looking. It looks like a, a Tesla like a, that looks like a little delivery van. Yeah, but it, it, it's like a Tesla that got inflated with like air. You're probably looking at the new version. Yeah, the it's 2022. Yeah, the 2021 is even stranger. Oh. It, it, it looks like what if the people that designed Brunswick bowling alleys designed a car? That's what it looks like. Um, uh, I'm having trouble imagining that, so I'm going to have to Google that. Uh, what about monkeypox? What do you want to say? How does it kill you? Why are we so terrified of it? It probably won't kill you. Plus, you probably won't get it. It's not very transmissible. So, yes, there's a there's a reason for that. There's a secret of monkeypox, very similar to the secret of AIDS, but they're not letting us on. But AIDS is, it is a sexually transmitted disease. Monkeypox is technically not. It's just that it requires such close contact to transmit it that sex is often involved in the transmission. Huh. I thought I thought it was spread mainly through anal sex among gays. Well, maybe, but it's not. But I, I don't think that's because, you know, I don't, I don't think it's like it can only spread via genitalia or anything like that. Or uh, I'm just looking at the two bolts. Trying I to suppose decide. If, I had the, if I had the parrot say anal sex, that would be bad. I think you've exhibited enough bad taste today, Mickey. <laughs> I think the uh, the severance joke really going to be a while before you redeem yourself. I think you've exhibited enough bad taste today, Mickey. I think we can let that be the last word. So we will uh, we will see everybody next week.